These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, which that ship straight ahead is almost certainly part of. Perhaps the people on board will need medical aid. I'm a doctor, not a fortune teller. Captain, scans indicate this vessel is named the Countess. It also seems another ship is approaching to assist it, which appears to be this another Enterprise. Two Starfleet vessels operating simultaneously with the same name is not logical. It seems my Enterprise and your Enterprise have been brought together in, through a time nexus. The ship appears to be the cause. What do you sense from it, Counselor? The personalities on board also seem to be caught in a time nexus, as if they don't belong together. A man named Ronix seems to coexist with his adult son, Claude, and a fellow with a pompous name, Fate, keeps arguing with him. Sounds like there's nothing I can do until those idiots quit killing each other. So, my fellow captain, it sounds like we need to beam over there and make those people take a time out. Set phasers to stun, and let's hope they don't have any death monsters I'd have to wrestle. Number one, send an away team to assist. Whenever we're on screen together, for some reason I foresee a different kind of nexus. That and bridges falling down. We better not take the chance. Captain, my initial scans made a slight error. This vessel's name appears to be Calness, and its occupants are striking back against those doing a fight on board. I detect an open visual channel. Put it on screen! Huh? Something doesn't look quite right about you people. I need my glasses. Captain, my senses are inadequate against this barrage of artificiality. Please take us away from here before I lose the ability to see forever. Strap on your swords. Ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack. And here are the party leaders for this expedition, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 63, The Fault Lies Not in the Stars. I am your host, Phil Willis. My good friend and partner, Mr. Miki, cannot be with us at the moment. Perhaps he will join us later on. Perhaps not. But don't worry, because I have a trio of science officers to help me with the show tonight. First up, Mr. Mike Baker. Hello. How are you doing tonight, Mr. Baker? Well, I'm doing okay this morning. Oh, that's right. It's morning for you. That's right. You're over in the land where they get all the fun games. Yep, I've got one in my hand right now. Ah, well, you better say uh, save it for the end, because because I don't want to be jealous of the entire show. <laughs> well, I do have to work in a while, so I'm I'm gonna have to leave about halfway through. Ah, that's no fun. Well, that means I want to be jealous at all, Mister Adrian Din Alden. Welcome back to RPG Backtrack. How are you tonight? Oh, not too bad. Having a good day? Ah, oh, it's been all right. A little frustrating early on, you know, car insurance. But that's a whole other story. Unrelated to Star Ocean. <laughs> Ready to talk about a whole crapload of Star Ocean games tonight? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. Oh, that's good. And to help you do that, we've also got the wonderful, the beautiful, the gorgeous Miss Sam Marshmallow. 
You know, I get disappointed every time I have to be called out last, but then you do stuff like that, and it just feeds my ego. I can't, I can't, you know, if I did you first, the other ones, how would I, how would I escalate that any further? How could I, I mean, I can't do you first, that means you're gonna build up to something bigger. You know? Well, yeah, everybody else goes below me. <laughs> below. Nah, that's not nice. I love the people on here, so it's okay. Would y'all like her address? I can Google it for you. You can egg her house tonight. <laughs> well, I, I think both those right people right have it. <laughs> Shoot. So, uh, well, we won't waste any more time because we've got a long night ahead of us. We're going to pause for a short break and we will be right back after these commercial messages. You have commercials now? <laughs> when was the last time you listened to the show, Adrian? <laughs> I just snorted. Ow! <laughs> I, I thought we were getting some level of like, you know, respect here. I mean, we have at, we have uh, we have sponsors now. I mean, that's fantastic. Sure, sure. We have sponsors. Uh, here's one now. Are you bored? Have nothing better to do with your day? Well, head on over to twitter.com forward slash jcsgamer. Well, you'll see all the latest tweets on what Phil is playing today. This ad sponsored by Phil Willis. Welcome back. Tonight we're going to be talking about not one, not two, not three, not four, but apparently five Star Ocean games. I, I didn't know there were so many, but my friends are here to help rectify that small, oh, let's say gap in my knowledge of all things related to RPGs. The first game we are talking about tonight is Star Ocean, released on the Super Famicom in Japan on July 19, 1996, and later brought out here to your PlayStation Portable device in North America on October 21, 2008. This is a single-player action RPG experience, and this one is rated T for terrific or terrible. We'll find out tonight. First, let us talk about the story. Let's set up the stage. Who would like to start? Not everybody at once, though. <laughs> I can go. Marshmallow, go! Go ahead, Sam. So, the story of the original Star Ocean... Uh, Our Ocean. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> stupid. Um, Star Ocean tells the story of Roddick uh, Ference, and he's a young fellow pool, so he has a little tail and some ears, and he's really cute, living in a town that's uh, considered underdeveloped... Or, sorry, he's living on an underdeveloped planet called Roke. And... What ends up happening is that the people in his town are slowly turning to stone. So he kind of decides that he wants to go on a quest to figure out what's actually going on with this illness. Um, more importantly, he does it because um, there's a girl in the town that he that he's in, Millie, um, and she her father was um, 
Let's put it this way. She was diseased, and they felt the need that they had to go, you know, save people. Um, Adrian, please continue, because I'm losing my train of thought already. I just remember there was stone people, yeah. and Millie was annoying. And... Well, you, you've, you've totally filled me into where we were. Now, flash forward about 100 years <laughs> into the future, and the planet of Roke is being colonized by, uh, by humans. But they've also discovered this horrible disease, and it's starting to spread. And at this point, two officers, uh, Ronix and... What was her name? Was it Ilya? I think her name Ilya. was Ilya. Ilya. Yeah. Uh, find a way to travel back in time. And if for any of you who are thinking, oh, wow, this is exactly like Star Ocean, uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, you're exactly right. It is. Except there's no whales. There, there are no whales, whales, right? There's yeah, no whales. There, there's no whales. It, it's the one thing that's missing. But they travel back in time and they visit Roke and they meet up with Roddick and Millie. And the four of them go on an adventure through the planet trying to figure out what's causing this stone illness, curing it, and then hopefully bringing the cure back to the future to save everyone and restore peace to the otherwise turbulent galaxy, as JRPs usually do. And remember, they're from Earth. So everything <laughs> they are to them from is, Earth. So everything is really foreign <laughs> to them. It's amazing like how Ilya gets all freaked out by the fashion in, the, in Rogue, and she's like, wow, it's so old-timey. That's one of the private actions I remember. She's just like, it's so old-timey. And then Millie's like, I like my clothes. And Ilya going, that's nice, sweetheart. I think the Uh, really ironic thing is that they don't question the fact that this alien civilization has somehow managed to develop on the exact parallel lines as ancient Earth. Where, where, Where does that come from? I don't know. And I'm amazed that you're right. They don't really pick up on it. It's like... Look at our medieval clothing. And then it's like, well, look at our futuristic clothing. Where there was similarities. Come on, people. <laughs> but you know what? I, like, guys gotta love Star the Star Ocean. It was weird that they found planets with Roman togas or Hitler uniforms. Yeah, really. really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Well, science fiction has never really made a lot of sense, especially in video games, so let's just run with it. Well, yeah. that's just it. We're, we're going to be talking about five games with uber-convoluted plots, right? Their plots are like, exactly. here's the simple aspect of the plot, and then in the long term, here's where it doesn't make sense, but we're going to pretend it makes sense, and then you're going to accept it like it's fact, be a fanboy, and then it's okay. It's okay. That's the only thing the, to do. Well, the Star Ocean series is just kind of hilarious in that, and, and the first game in particular, um, you got to love the oblivious obliviousness of all the characters and this this theme of being oblivious to things just sticks with the whole series it's like a, i came from another planet so did i okay and they just kind of like you know it's like we're gonna be friends now it's like you know this person's of an alien race are we really just gonna be trusting towards them right away i guess so because in jrpgs we learned that holding hands and drinking tea is a great thing i think they were drinking Especially alcohol, when that- actually Tea, yeah. especially when the tea has the symbol for sake on the side of it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just saying, I mean, compared to, let's look at like a science fiction RPG like Mass Effect, where, you know, the characters actually question alien races. Star Ocean's pretty entertaining in that it's like, they don't question anything half the time. <laughs> even even more important, none of the alien races are even remotely humanoid. Even the ones that have, are like bipedal, they still don't look anything like humans. Or in this yeah. case... They're basically humans with little pointy ears and tails. Yeah, 
I'm trying to think like how many other races actually appeared in the first game, but I think it was really just the that was the it. Fel-fools. It was humans, the humans, and the Felfools. That was the only. Those were the only races in the first game, I believe. Oh yeah, wait, and the and the cat people. The uh, oh. what's her name? Oh, uh, I'm trying to remember. Heresy cat- or something. Heresy or something like that. Heresy. Or Heresy. I can't remember how you pronounce that I, I name. I remember her name is Heresy, but I don't think I ever saw the name spelled out in English. And then there was uh, a werewolf guy too. Yeah. And then there was one character who had the flying orbs of death. Oh, um... Was it Joshua was it or Raven? It was yeah. Yoshi. Oh, and the wings. Yeah, the winged guy, too. There was the winged characters, too. The feather folk. Yeah. Yeah. But they were those were all native characters to Roke. That's the thing. None yeah. of them were alien to Roke. They were all native to Roke. Yeah, that was the kind of the, um, the weird aspect, is that you don't really see these the home planets of these other groups of people because apparently they're just native to that area. And then when you get to Star Ocean 4, you realize that's not entirely true. But for the purposes of this game, I mean, you have like four races at least. And they all just coexist just fine with each other. It kind of makes humanity look really stupid in some ways. Because, you know, racism. Isn't that part of the point of a lot of modern science fiction? It's true. When we when you look at modern science fiction, it's just again it attributes back to this whole thing that everybody is so damn oblivious in this series. <laughs> so you know, as much as like I want to pick on science fiction for this idea of being friends with other races sort of deal, in Star Ocean they don't really do a good job of making the player believe the conflict between the between the races because there really just isn't isn't one at least yeah. in the first game. So well, that the first one was I don't think the first one was really about race in though no, like it wasn't really a, a theme. The, the 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 races in that game were more akin to like the races you see in a fantasy novel. I mean, you have your dwarves and your and your elves, elves and whatnot and there's cultural differences and stuff like that. For the most part, they just get along. There's no you rarely see race wars in uh in video game fantasy and it's the, it's the same same thing going on here. The the races were Basically, just ways to make characters have cool-looking features that make them look sciency. Yeah, but true. Uh, honestly, I don't really know how I would describe the themes of Star Ocean. The, at least, not the first one. It the, didn't well, really first... have didn't really have an overarching theme, did it? Well, it it does actually, because there is the the journey of self-discovery for Rodic and Millie. You know, they're going on an adventure together, not only to discover a mystery about what is going on in their world, but they also learn to discover more about themselves. I think all all four of the main characters really actually have that aspect about them. Because, you know, even for Ilya and Ronix, you know, they even start to realize, hey, that they're kind of in love with each other. But it's only through this journey do they actually realize that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I mean, you, it, you, you can kind of apply that theme to pretty much every story ever written. I mean, there's there's always a human element to every story, but beyond that, there's no, there's no uh, there's there's no real there, there's nothing beyond the human element in that story. It, it's it, it's entirely a human element, and the adventure is just sort of an, a backdrop. It it's there, but it really doesn't have. It, it's really not nearly as interesting. No, it might it's... have been an excuse to take all the Star Trek stuff and mash it together with all the Ex- tales. Exactly, stuff it's an excuse to rip have off a Star Trek. Time doing it. Who cares if we make a sequel? We'll figure that out later. You know what? For what it's worth, the first Star Ocean's cast of characters were pretty fun. Like I didn't mm-hmm. find them bland. I mean, for me, Star Ocean got bland when I met the characters from three, and when we get to three, I'll complain there. 
but I really liked the the characters in the first game, with the exception of Millie, who drove me absolutely bonkers, and I wanted to kill her half the time. Um, Honestly, I I agree entirely. I think uh, of the of the four games that were released in America, um, I, I think Star Ocean, the first one, the first departure on the PSP, is is the be- the better game. Uh, it's obviously not perfect, but I definitely I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I definitely liked the characters better than the, any of the other characters. The yeah, the, the thing about the, ga- the the characters in the first game was just they have a lot of personality, and a lot of their personality traits are very um, subtle for the most part compared to, like I said, when you get to four and when you get to three, where the personality traits are really out there, and then you kind of want to just curl up into a ball and sob a little bit. These characters, they're nicely fleshed out. You care about what their journey is. Um, like, I loved the whole little romance between Ronix and Ilya. I thought it was absolutely adorable. Um, especially because Ronix is such a dork. He's a big square. He's not exactly the most uh, bright of people, despite being, you know, the captain of the Kalness. <laughs> he's, 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 he's a very atypical JRPG hero, and that's one of the things that I liked about him. Because in a lot of ways, he's definitely in a lot of ways he's the main character of the game, not Roddick. Yeah. Well, and he, I mean, he's going to be what is significant for the next game too. Um, yeah. But Ronick's what I think makes him such such a wonderful character is that he's a character who's very open about his mistakes. You know, he's very open about any kind of mistakes he made. Um, you know, he's willing to take blame when something happens. Um, as a as a good captain should. That being said, he is so logical that he's not able to see certain more emotional aspects to how people react to things. Like in terms of of Roddick and Milia's emotional state over like Mil- uh, Millie's dad, um, he doesn't entirely understand it. He's looking at the logical perspective of you know, well, we have to follow these steps to find a find a cure. Where he's not very understanding towards her emotional attachment to her father. And it's Ilya who forces him to kind of see that aspect. She has to always remind him the human side of things because he's not always the most emotionally bright, right? So I, I really loved their relationship and how their chemistry worked in the game. Just as as much as I'm not huge on Millie, I thought her chemistry with Roddick was really good too. Like they complement each other very well. Hmm. Any other thoughts about the characters? Wow. Okay. I'm trying to remember everything no. from the last time I saw this game. <laughs> I know. It's I haven't played the game since 2008. I can't remember. Not really. Yeah, well, I don't blame you. I can't remember. We were. T- I forget what we were talking. Oh, we were talking about Parasite Eve, and I, you know, Sam, you were going off about some of the supporting characters. I'm like, uh, I remember Aya and that other creepy woman. That was it. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm no better. There, I, I can give you the names because I, I think I've played it the most recent. There was uh, Fia, who is the leader of the Astral Knights, and um, she she's like this awesome kind of samurai woman slash just badass chick who murders things. Like, she's a high position uh, in the game, and what is typical, of course, of the Star Ocean series is when you recruit some of the side characters, you can't recruit somebody else. So if you picked uh, Fia, you couldn't recruit uh, Sisius, who... Um, is also one of the Highland Warriors that you meet. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about the? Uh, what do y'all think about the uh, the gameplay? 
So talk about the. Uh, uh, well, I, I think we I think we should hold off on this until we get to Star Ocean Two, since the gameplay of Star Ocean One is identical to Star Ocean Two. Hmm. I'm kind of curious how they changed it between the Famic- Super Famicom and PlayStation Portable version. Well, Michael, you're the only one who's going to be able to talk about that because none of us has played the Famicom version. I just remember watching the little guys rush across the screen and whack stuff really hard. But... Well, out of curiosity, Michael, when you played on the Super Famicom, um, did you have to use the shoulder buttons to do the special attacks? Or was it mapped to the face buttons? Oh, man. Um, okay, give me a moment to remember here. Because, like, with the PSP versions, they had you mash in the shoulder buttons to do the special attacks, so your special attack would be mapped to one of the shoulder buttons. For whichever character remember, you're playing as. I do remember pushing a whole lot of buttons, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget that that was based off of the uh, the PlayStation One engine for Star yep. Wars. Yeah, I know. So, ooh, okay, ask me a question I can't answer, please. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm it awful. I'm... Now, the... I could tell you quite a bit about the Game Boy Color game now, just because I have it on at the moment. <laughs> but... Oh, we'll get to that when we talk about Star Ocean Two, considering it's a uh, it's, really, it's a sequel. But, um, yeah, the Star Ocean battle system is just one of those... I love it, just because it's probably very... It's so fast. You feel completely engaged with everything that you're doing. Um, And it's definitely more refined, obviously, in the two PSP remakes than it is in the PlayStation 2 version of uh, Star Ocean 2. Because it's just working off the same uh, engine as Adrian said. Um, That being said, there's a lot of great gameplay elements within this series that um, just get more refined as we go on. Like, the private action system is fabulous. That's where you would, um, before you enter a town, there's a chance that you can push a button and you'll get a personal action. So the party will split up and whichever, and the main character that you are, so in this case, Roddick, could go around town, find his former teammates and you might trigger like a, a special little personal event between that character um and another, and it raises their affection in some ways. There, there are two things in Star Ocean that I remember that uh, that were really ground-breaking for uh, JRPGs when it was first released, and uh, that was one, the multiple party characters. Um, the great thing about the first two Star Ocean games, in particular, is that you ca- you can't play through the game and get every single party member. Uh, the game has about what, what would you say, fourteen, fifteen characters in it, At and least you can only 14. And, and you can only have eight in your party. Four, four of them are set. They're preset, and you can't get rid of them in Star Ocean 1. That's Roddick, Millie, Ronix, and Ilya. They're going to be in your party no matter what. And then you have four party slots that can be filled with the other party members in the game. And, all, and you have to fulfill certain requirements in order to get them to join you. And depending on how, uh, which characters you have to join you, the events of the game change. The, they, they evolve themselves in the cutscenes, and it's all really well done, all done extremely seamlessly, which is one of the more impressive aspects of it. Yeah, they make it, um, you're right about the seamlessness of it, because most of the time, it's just how you encounter some of them. Um, for example, with Yashua, the feather folk gentleman, I mean, you randomly meet him in a town, um, and you find out that he's been searching for his sister, who uh, was separated from him uh, after his parents were murdered. So you could get him, but you might not be able to get another character like um, Fia. So it's a case of you have to make your choice. And there's some characters that you can only recruit if you recruited another character first. 
Yes. And there's then of course there's characters that only appear late in the game, and unless you've saved a party slot for them, you can't get them either. Like uh, the the little cat girl, Percy. Yeah, Perc- I never got her. So. And I I know several of these several of the later characters weren't even available in the Super Famicom version. I mean, no, a lot, there appeared. were there were a lot of some, new ones that appeared. Yeah, like uh, some of the characters. Of yeah, some of the characters were actually in the first game, but they weren't recruitable. Yeah. Yep. And of course, then there's uh, the 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 start the uh, what is it the uh, the retro the the retroactive Star Ocean mascot. Uh, Welch. Welch. <laughs> I hate Welch. <laughs> you only hate you you only hate Welch because of what Star Ocean Four did to her. Yeah. I she do. was awesome. She was awesome in all the other games. She was just terrible in Star Ocean Four. She's she's cute in the the first three games. I'll give her that. Um. But I don't think I ever got her in the PSP remake either. Yeah, I didn't either. But uh, I, I, even if you don't recruit them, one of the cool things at the end of the game is that you can see where they all go. They'll, even if they're not in your party, you, you can see where they head off to and uh, you can see what they do. And that's you, So you see a little side skit with them and she's got her own one. And it's just cute. Well, yeah, and the nice part about Star Ocean as a series, and particularly, again, pioneered by the first game, is that you do, in the ending sequence, get to see what happens to everybody. Now, in Star Ocean 2, like, they boast 80 possible endings. Probably not the case in the first game, I'm pretty sure, but it's great that they at least give you a follow-up with each person just to see what happened after they were either reunited with somebody that they lost or how they well, reacted to the end of that, the story. That 80 possible ending thing was kind of a lie. It, it's not oh, actually 80, lot, 80 possible endings. It's a combination of different events that lead to 80 po- possible endings. In total, there's only like two or three different endings for each character, and they all sort of when – you, you, when you get into the possible iterations, it creates 80 different endings. Yeah. But, um, not that I'm knocking it. It was still it's still great. <laughs> it's it's great. I mean, there's there's not much to really say. I mean, Star Ocean One it brought a lot of great things to the table, a lot of great things that continued in this series. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those games that I have no problem just handing over to a friend and being like, you know what, this is great. You need to play it. Oh, absolutely. And the the other thing that I was uh, going to talk about is that uh, the other thing that Star Ocean, especially the first two games, was really well known for was its item creation system, which is oh yes, it's uh, in Star Ocean one and two. It's definitely one of the best item creation systems I've ever seen. Even did, even did they fix in, it? Uh, it's they use the, the Star Ocean one PSP uses the same item creation system as Star Ocean two. Well, I'm I just remember having an awful time with some of the or some parts of that system in the original version, where things, you could just try 15 times in a row and it would be failure, 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 failure. Well, yes, it's definitely uh, changed from that. It's actually, there's a 100% success rate now, and that's one of the cool things. Ooh, Very nice. few item creation systems do that. But there's always a 100% success rate, but what you create out of it is not, is not exact. It creates, there's, there's a percentage chance you'll get a better item than what you know, but whatever you get is always useful. So, by exper- and it, what's great about it is it encourages you to experiment because it, you can mix the same things together over and over again and you'll get different things. So you just – as soon as you have access to your item creation, you pump your points into it and you, you, you experiment with it and you'll find cool items. There's some incredibly powerful weapons you can get through item creation really early in the game and it, it completely destroys the balance of the game but it's nonetheless really awesome. <laughs> 
Cool. Well, sounds like y'all have done a really great job of uh, talking about the game, well, summarizing there's actually it. One, there's actually one other facet of the item creation system that makes it truly unique, and that's that the item creation system is completely bound into the, the character development. Uh, your stats and your skills are all based on the item creation. If you, incre- if you increase your, your weapon abilities, not only will you be able to make more weapons, but you'll attack more. You'll, you'll attack for more damage and, and things like that. There's like, what is it, like 50 different skills that you can train your characters in. You get dozens of points per level. And it, it's just absolutely amazing what you can do with that system. It, it's one of the most complex character development systems I've ever seen. And it's so easy to get into and so much fun to play around with. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, pretty cool. Alrighty, well, I don't think we need to do a 30-second wrap-up on that one, because it sounds like y'all have done a pretty good job of expressing your heartfelt emotion and love for Star Ocean. And since you mentioned how much this resembles, at least on the PSP, uh, Star Ocean 2, let's just jump right into that, shall we? As soon as I remember where I stuck my nut. There it is. Star Ocean, the second story. This is uh, published or developed by uh, Tri-Ace, published by Enix in Japan and later on North America by Enix and SCEA. This was uh, released in Japan on the PlayStation. On the PlayStation. Gosh, I'm talking like Sam now. On July 30th, 1998. Later on in North America, May 31st, 1999. And then brought to the PlayStation Portable in North America on January the 19th, 2009. This is a single-player action RPG experience. And this is rated T for Teen. So, let's talk I... about this story. Here, Miss Sam is... I want to talk about the story, but I will talk about how much I love this game. <laughs> okay, well, we have an order of things here. First, we talk about the story, no. then no, the no, character. No, no, no. Blah, 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 no. You're going to make okay, me put I a big, this game. You're gonna make me put a big long ampersand over here, aren't you? Ampersands! I played this game six times. Wow. <laughs> Dang. Um, wow. It was one of my favorite games that's, growing up. That's um, love. Actually... Before I even got my own copy of it, I distinctively remember going to Roger's video back when it actually had games, um, and I would rent it every week until my mom finally looked at me and she's like, you're being dumb. I'm just going to go buy you a copy. Um, And I played this game religiously every time I I went to my cottage just because it was a great cottage game. I could sit there, you know, on a rainy day, pour in as many hours as I wanted. Um... There is so much to love about Star Ocean 2. It has a great cast of characters. The story, also still a convoluted mess, but I find it to be a more acceptable convoluted mess compared well, to 3 and 4. That, that might be partly because of the translation of the original version. Yeah, the, uh, the translation of the original version was very special. Uh, <laughs> it was hilarious. A lot hilarious. of stuff didn't make sense. Uh, there was a lot of typos in characters' names. And the um, voice acting. Wow. I'm going to turn you into a beehive. <laughs> um, yeah, just the, the voice acting in this game was so beautiful that you just you couldn't help but laugh half the time. It was that god awful. But this is like one of the this is the Star Ocean game that has allows players to choose between two main characters. And in the choice that you make, it changes some of the characters that you can recruit later on. So if you choose to start as Claude, you have the option of recruiting a really cute fellow pool named Leon, who is this magic user and an utter brat and my favorite character. (laughs) Leon is Um, pretty awesome. I love Leon. Whereas if you play as Rena, 
So Rena is a great magic user, um, and she gets paired with a swordsman named Diaz, who is a total douchebag. But I love him anyways. Douche. He is a douche. Leo- the fun thing about Star Ocean 2 is that the romance in this game is really corny, kind of adorable, and you laugh because Claude is just such a klutz about everything that he does. Um, his jealousy is is just so misguided throughout this game. Um, I mean, he's a he is Ronix's son, first off, from the first game. And he decides that on a mission, he's going to go touch something that he was specifically told not to touch. And he gets transported to the Planet X spell, where he meets Rena. Um, Rena is, she's just having lots of fun in the forest with the animals, and she's so excited. And then she gets attacked by this monster. So Claude pulls out his this light gun that he has. And he zaps the monster. So Rena, of course, she's looking, going, what kind of, you know, weapon is that? It must be the legendary Sword of Light. Um, and meanwhile, Claude's like, Sword of Light? Are you sure it's a gun? <laughs> right? And Rena's like, it's a Sword of Light. Come on, come to my town. Like, she's just so excited because she's trying to tell everybody that she found the legendary Warrior of Light. Um, meanwhile, poor Claude is, like, standing there like a doofus, going, like, what the hell just happened? I'm being dragged somewhere with... Really nice people, but I'm a little freaked out at the moment because they're all fawning at me. So that kind of opens the events of Star Ocean 2. Now, supposedly, and I'm going with the really bad translation because I didn't play the PSP one, there is a sort of pseudo-organization, I don't really know if it's an organization, but that's kind of how they phrase it in the game, uh, called the Sorcery Globe, and it's been causing a lot of... It wasn't. I, I don't know uh, what it was. The, the retranslation is it's not. It's not. A, it wasn't an organization. It was a, an event, a cataclysmic event, uh, a, like a meteor that crashed into the earth. No one knows what the hell it is. Yeah. And it, it's just mysterious, and it's troublesome, and they don't like it. It scares. Yeah. Them. There's there's a meteor, and they're not sure what the hell is the deal with the meteor, and then there's like these whole newfounded monsters appearing on the planet that they didn't have before. So people can't really go outside. So they decide that, hey, Claude has the sort of light. Make him do it. Make him investigate it. And, and then, then it of breaks. course, for- and then it breaks. <laughs> um, and just the reaction of his phase gun breaking is the most adorable thing ever because, you know, his gun breaks and Rena's like, what happened to the sort of light? And she looks like she's going <laughs> to sob, right? She's like, 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 what happened? And Claude's just like, I broke it. <laughs> So there's there's something really, really dorky about the two of them that you play the game and you're just like, oh, you two are so adorable, but so silly. Um, I know that's why I really enjoyed the well, game. All the characters are silly. That's what's great about Star Ocean 2. Like Star Ocean, Star Ocean 1 had a lot of characters that you really liked and you could get behind because they, they actually seemed human. And St- None of the characters in Star Ocean 2 seem human. They're all caricatures. They're all ridiculous, but you love them anyway because the caricatures are just so well done. Well, that, and that's just it. They all make you smile in some way. Um, and no character is really um, dislikable. I mean, I wasn't huge on something, let's say, like Diaz, but, you know, I... What about Ashton? I mean, look, look Ashton at Ashton. I mean, he's, he's got to be the most unique character in JRPG history. He, he's a guy who's obsessed with barrels that happens to have two dragons fused into his back. Where do you even come up with that? Remember the developers high or something? (laughs) Well, remember, the dragons Um, were an accident. (laughs) I'm still sure that there was quite a bit of beer involved with this. 
character's creation. Oh God, goodness! Because I, I haven't even played this game, but I've seen references to some of these characters and web comics and things. I'm just thinking, why? Yeah, but Ashton's fun. Ashton is just—he's so adorable. He's very naive for the most part. So like. There's there's a character in the game named Prissus, and she is a girl who's mechanic, and she builds things, and she has the biggest crush on Ashton, and she'll like, like fawn at him. Yeah, yeah, she'll fawn at him like a like an actual otaku fangirl, and Ashton just he's really nice about it. He doesn't quite understand entirely what's going on, so she'll like blather on about something, and poor Ashton's just looking like this girl keeps talking. Why does she keep talking? And then the dragons will make some sort of commentary. And he's like, stop it. I know she's talking to me. <laughs> like, he talks to the dragons because that's his only form of sanity in most cases. But Persis is just like, your dragons are so fascinating. Can I pet them? Can I name them? And meanwhile, Rena She had does name them, doesn't she? I thought it was Rena that named them. I, I can't remember, but I can't remember what the names were, but they were hilarious. It was like... Urugo and Guro, I think. I know one I, I started with a U and one started with a G. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember exactly. But just, yeah, the cast of characters in this game are fabulous. Um, there is a doctor named Bowman. Well, he's actually a pharmacist. Yes, the pharmacist, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he, and he, his whole purpose uh-huh. in the game is to punch stuff in the face. And he says the stupidest things in the game. He's like, poison pills! <laughs> and then he throws pills at everybody. <laughs> it's like watching Dr. Mario. <laughs> and the thing is, obviously, if you pick Bowman, you can't get Persis. So that's one of the cases where if you choose one, you can't have the other, because they're from the same town called Lingo, which is the academic town in the game. And then, speaking of another set of characters where this is the case, uh, we talked about Ashton. But we didn't talk about Opera, who is a three-eyed woman looking for her fiancé, who has probably the second most poorest voice acting in that game. Uh, she's this three-eyed... Do you know what her race was called? Was it, like, Tangier? I don't even... I don't remember. I'm actually... I'm pulling out the uh, the game manual from Second I'm Evolution looking, to see if I can find that I'm information. I'm looking it up on there. Wikipedia right now. Tetrogeniot. Okay. I was close. Something like that. <laughs> I knew it started with the T. But um yeah, it doesn't have opera in here, darn. So opera, her whole thing is that she's a, a noblewoman. She's visiting Expel because her husband, uh, Ernest, boyfriend, whatever the crap they are. Again, my translation had it. Sometimes it was husband, sometimes it was boyfriend. Whatevs. Um he's an archaeologist and he's traveling the galaxy and he kind of on his own and kind of ditches her. So she feels the need to go punish him. <laughs> for, for ditching her. Um, she also carries a giant... It, it's like a giant gun that looks kind of like a flamethrower. Like, but it's also like a machine gun, or I don't know what the hell kind of gun it is. It's bigger than her. It's a BFG. That works. <laughs> yes. um, so yeah, like she, she's out to go give him a spanking, pretty much. Is the whole point of her plot. Um... Ernest was one of the few characters, I think I only got him like once or twice. He is not worth the effort. He's probably the crappiest character in the game. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever used him enough to really appreciate him as a character, because I kind of found that he was just kind of a jerk. I was like, you treated Opera badly. I don't like you. 
And it didn't help that every time I played the game, I purposely went for the whole Claude Opera private actions because they were really cute. Because he'd be all sympathetic and she'd be all like, hey, Claude, you're underaged. And then I'd get a good laugh out of that. <laughs> wasn't, there, wasn't there also a, a photographer or something like that? Or was that in Star Ocean 1? Uh, the journalist, which is Yeah, Tusan. the journalist. She knows kung fu. And that's what makes her awesome. She is a kung fu action journalist. She's <laughs> kind of supposed to be in the vein of I want, like... I want to buy that action figure. <laughs> she's sort of like in the vein of, of uh, Tintin. That's essentially what she is. She's a journalist who sticks her nose into somebody else's business, doesn't care that she's doing it, then gets caught half the time, and usually just uses her kung fu grip to get out of it. <laughs> hey, it's, it's the truth. Oh, that game had such great characters. It, I like, kind of want to play these again now. <laughs> she's fabulous. And then the character that she was often paired with was Noel, who was this really sweet little Nidian zoologist. He's all like, I love animals. And then Chisada would punch his animals, and he'd cry a little bit, and then try to defend the animals from her. Noel's voice acting was really funny in that he would sometimes say things about how we need to protect the animals. So it was great to pair him with a character who hated animals, because the banter would usually be pretty funny. So if you paired him with like someone like Celine, who's like this... She's pretty much Madonna. <laughs> she's like this diva who's all like, I'm super hot. I know magic. My outfit's really skimpy. You all bow down to my sexiness. Like, that's how she is. So you pair her with someone like Noel, and she's just like, animals are stupid, die. <laughs> and then Noel's just like, no, not my animals. <laughs> um, Celine was also kind of interesting in that she was actually uh, engaged to the crazy pharmacist. I think that's who it was. Was it the pharmacist or Diaz? I have no idea. I can't even remember anyone. The, the, the game's character relationships were so freaking convoluted, it was impossible to keep track. Yeah. I, I want to but... say Bowman. I, mean, I could be wrong on that. But yeah, so pairing her with whichever character was her fiancé always also ended up with commentary that was usually pretty funny. Um... And yeah, like just this this game has such a good group of characters. And even some of the other side characters were just as fun. I mean, the the whole kind of fun in this particular game is that you see this wonderful relationship between human and aliens once again reprised from the first game. Um but the difference this time around is you have Rena's sort of journey about figuring out who she is. Right? She's actually She's the only person in Expel who knows how to use healing magic. Nobody else in Expel knows how to use healing magic, so everybody kind of looks at her like she's either a savior or a monster. And Rena obviously in some way knows that she's not a part of Expel. So this whole Cersei Globe journey is her also trying to find out where does she come from. And at the end of the first disc when you, you go and you destroy what is essentially the, the sorcery globe, they get sent to the planet Need, and Rena actually finds out in a facility that she was sent to Earth like Superman. <laughs> I should not. <laughs> you know, she was put in a capsule and shipped to XL the same way Clark Kent was, and told the same spiel about how important she is <laughs> to the hope of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> sent to expel. Uh, in case you haven't realized a theme here, uh, Star Ocean really likes to rip off popular science fiction characters. Yes. <laughs> and it does it very badly. <laughs> but we don't care. 
Yes, we, we don't judge. We, ju- we, we just point judge. it out and laugh. But um, even moving just to the combat, I mean, um, some of the power moves in this game were just hilarious. Um, Ashton, for an example, he could use his dragons to eat the enemies. <laughs> get really big and all of a sudden go, yum, and then eat the enemies and then they were dead. <laughs> Didn't didn't Precious have like some sort of special magic box that would explode? It was her or... backpack. Yes, her backpack. That's what it was. Yes, her backpack. Her backpack of punching, punching her arm. backpack. Her backpack of mystical power. Yes. It, it was a transformer. <laughs> it could transform into anything. I think there's even uh, one where she can do a giant robot. Yes, I think there is. Yes. Actually, She's and the thing is, like insane. her, the giant robot form looked like a rock and sockum robot, which was even well, better. She doesn't come with the robot automatically. Oh, yeah, she does. It's called Robbie. It's called Robbie. <laughs> okay. Robbie the robot. It was her best friend until she met Ashton. <laughs> oh. Like, so, yeah. I was just wondering um, because, yeah, she shows up with the robot immediately at the beginning of Blue Sphere. So. Yeah, no, that it, immediately she has it in the game, too. So, um, Actually, this actually might be a good time to turn to you, Gaijin. What is the significant difference in plot considering that blue sphere is essentially a part of star ocean too what i've what i've read is it's supposed to be opera's story isn't it is that is, is that it's right kind of it's oh let me check make sure i do have the character name straight again um but uh here we go yeah it, it starts with opera and Ernest. um they're off on a planet called edifice out in the middle of nowhere and um Actually, I'm not at the point in the game where I find out what happened to them. Um, at the very start of the game, they, they're sending an SOS, and so Pracy and Precious rounds up the gang, except for um, except for the, main, the two main characters, Claude and Reyna from the first game, or for, from second story, and um, she flies everybody to this planet to try and find Opera, and crashes badly. Um, <laughs> that sounds like Precious. <laughs> yep. So yeah. So the game starts out with Precious and uh, who, two of the other characters, Bowman and somebody else in in the cockpit of the ship, and she has to go through the rest of the ship, finding where everybody else has land has landed themselves because there weren't enough seat belts. <laughs> like, I'm, Are you serious? Well, it doesn't actually sit like that. But there's three, three people in the next room, and finally have to go all the way back to the engine room to find um, Ashton. Just, Face smashed up against the engine wall, um, and the dragon's kind of go- looking a little weird too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's um, nine characters at the beginning of this one, and you can choose any of them from the beginning. So it's kind of cool. Uh, at the start, you have Celine, Ashton, Precious, Bowman. Who else here? Diaz, Leon, Noel, and Chisato, all on the ship. Wow. So you, can select, you can select any of them as a main character. Uh, you can sl- you can make a three-person party out of any of them. Oh, wow. And since a lot of them have specific on-screen abilities that help explore the, the planet, you have to use the teleporter to go back to the spaceship on occasion, switch out your party, and then go explore some more. So it sounds like it mixes things up from the typical Star Ocean flood. That kind of makes me uh, upset that that never came over here. It sounds, uh, sounds interesting. And I, I know eventually you're supposed to find Opera and her boyfriend, and I know that Claude and Reyna will eventually show up. Everybody's hoping that they will show up to um, help them fix Crestus's ship, except Claude and Reyna have a, a similar accident and have to be rescued themselves. So. 
but yeah, so far um, I keep getting lost in this game because instead of having like a more or less linear series of places to visit, you can explore a bit more and I end up falling off a cliff at one point exploring a small cave and having to find out how to activate the ladder to get out of there, things like that. I'm, honestly, I'm still not quite sure what the story is on this, except that I'm supposed to be rescuing some people and I keep getting lost. Sounds interesting. Yeah. That's for sure. It's great that at least it brings back like all the cast of characters that people know and love. Um, now, you mentioned like with the battle system, it's still the same rush battle system. Um, yeah, but there's some, there's some major differences here, though. Uh, what would be some of the differences, then? Um, I, I guess it's mostly because of the, the, the limitations, because it's a Game Boy Color game, but... Less buttons means less attacks, probably, right? Well, that and the entire thing actually looks more like a Tails game. Oh, really? It's a side view, side-scrolling view. Um, you can target multiple parts of an enemy, for some of them. Um, the bigger enemies have multiple target points. But for the most part, it looks a lot like a Tails game. Actually, it looks more like a Tails game than the first Game Boy Color Tails game did. Kind of funny there. <laughs> I, I've been playing Tales of Fantasia Narakiri Dungeon as well, and that one doesn't actually play like a Tails game. This one does. It's weird. Huh. That is bizarre. Well, not that bizarre when you consider that the two, that's uh, Tri-Ace and Namco Tales Studios, both evolved from the same company. No, I mean, yeah. that part I get. It's just kind of interesting that this is the one that plays more like a Tales game than a Tales game. Well, the spinoffs of Tales series never play like Tales games. They're, they're shells except, of the except former. Except this particular Tales game was a direct sequel to Tales of Fantasia, and when they remade it for, ta- for the PlayStation Portable, they, they made a lot of improvements, apparently. But that's an entirely different podcast. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's yeah, good so to know. I, I found a plot synopsis here for Blue Sphere, and just says that it takes place about two years after the second story. And apparently the planet that I am on sees civilization wiped out every 200 years, which would fit with some of the things I've just been, just been reading in conversation with the, first, with the leader of the first town. How the hell can a civilization rise up in 200 years only to be destroyed again? Well, because they, apparently there's enough junk left over that most of the people – actually, the first village I've visited so far is – largely based around recovering and recycling stuff from ancient civilizations. That definitely yeah. sounds like a Tales game. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> what is this crap? <laughs> but it also well, has things like automatic private actions and uh, most of the item creation um, options have been turned into mini-games. As oh, well as okay. Like divin- um, divination is one as well. And also- how about the, not to interrupt, but uh, how does the item creation work as a mini game? Well, oh, for example, one of Prestige's um, abilities, I can't remember what it's called, but in order to do this mini game, you're presented with a circuit board and you have to move the soldering iron around with the, the arrow buttons and hit the right parts on the circuit board to make it work within a certain um, period of time. Oh, that sounds neat, actually. And or is it really annoying? 
It's not that bad, actually. That sounds kind and of similar to some of the hacking minigames in some uh, some games that have come out on the Xbox and the PS3 in the last few years. Yeah. Actually, I was watching watching my brother play Bioshock over the... That's, um, that's what I was thinking. It holiday, sounded like Bioshock. And it, and it resembled some of that. Um, I remember the Divination game is actually more of a bucket catch game where you have these little symbols flying around and you have to catch them in the container. And if you catch enough of them, then you get a good response from the a Divination attempt. Hmm. It's an interesting I, way of handling item creation. I just remember um, I first played this game like six years ago after I played the, um, the Super Famicom game, and I remember that I liked the Game Boy Color version a lot better in that aspect. Huh. When you when you started when you started playing Blue Sphere, had you played uh, Second Story? No, I still haven't played Second Story. Oh. Well, you should do that. Yes, I should. I really should dig up a copy of the PlayStation game. Try the, try the PSP. I'd suggest trying the PSP version just because the translation's better. Well, I don't have a PSP. It's called you live in Japan. You. You, you live in Japan and you don't have a PSP? Are you like the only person in Japan without one? No. Hey, now no. they have 3DS. There's another <laughs> guy at the other end of the island that doesn't have one, too. <laughs> It's called If You Want, I Will Send You the PS2 Game. <laughs> or the PS1 Game, if you want. Well, I, I can't play the, pay, the PS1 game on my PlayStation 3 over here because of reach knocking. Oh, right. Or I could probably find it over here for a thousand yen or less if I really wanted to. Not with that well, pile of PlayStation games. Over here, it costs I, I, I a got, lot more than I that. Pile anyway. So. <laughs> as soon as I finish the current, uh, how many do I have over there? Twelve? Um, I might get around to that. Okay, awesome. You know, there's there is one more thing I want to talk about about Star Ocean Two before we uh, we run off to the other Bad two game. special games. Um, the boss fights. Now, I don't know if the difficulty was uh, unbalanced in the PSP version, but I remember the difficulty fluxing stupidly in the PlayStation version. <laughs> Where some boss fights would be so easy, it's like walk up, hit, dead. And then some of the other boss fights, you'd have to just take a beating before you made any progress. It um, was, uh, they, I think they did probably rebalance it, because uh, uh, the PSP version is not uh, not that difficult to, to beat. But I did notice that uh, compared to Star Ocean 1, the, the balance in Star Ocean 2 was significantly improved. Um, Star Ocean 1 is extremely easy. Especially if you abuse item creation, you don't have that option in, sec uh, in Star Ocean 2 on the PSP. And for the most part, the game actually plays... It's, it's, the difficulty is pretty even all the way through the game, which was nice. The only exception that I remember was uh, a few fights where you have to survive for a certain amount of time, and they don't explain that, so you're trying to beat the boss, but yeah. the, the right strategy is to run the hell away. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, the... What were the the enemies called at the end of the game? The fiends. There was like ten bosses that you had to fight. Yeah. So it went to certain wise men. Yes, the wise men. That was what it was. I couldn't remember for the life of me what they were called, but I remember with the wise men fights in particular, um, just how unbalanced the game was. Um, particularly, I remember having so much trouble with the three that you had to fight in Funland. So the moment you go into um, 
whatever the hell that arena, the, the arena, the cooking arena, whatever that place is called. I call it Funland because that's what I remember it as. Um, you have the potential possibility for a boss fight to occur there, and there's three wise men. Um, and one of those could die in one hit, but the other two, after you killed the one, would come and murder you. So I used to get really pissed off as a kid because it would be like, okay, seriously, why are you raping me? This is not fun anymore. So I'd go grind well, a couple I, I, I know at that point in the game, they did expect you to have some really powerful equipment. Yeah. By abusing item creation. So that might have, you might have been unequipped. It, it's hard to say. But Probably. I, I don't remember the game being that difficult. I, I do remember there was a couple of boss fights that were frustrating, but for the most part, I managed to get through it without too much hassle. I just remember, um, just again with the PlayStation version, the Funland bosses and the final boss were the only ones that gave me a little bit of trouble. And the final boss is just because he's cheap. He had one attack that could just hit you from anywhere on the screen, and there was a good chance that it would take at least half your health. Sounds so like there was nowhere to boss. run. Oh, it was not fun. And I was notorious for I had a specific party that I played the game with every single time. And I always had one character who I didn't care because I was going to use them anyways, who was always kind of at a disadvantage for the final boss, which is Persis. Um, Persis didn't have a lot of HP, I remember that. Yeah, she doesn't have a lot of HP, but her attacks hit for a lot of damage. So she was notorious for constantly dying on me. And I'd have to be like, okay, Rena, do your job. Because <laughs> um, in Star Ocean, I, I, just, I was never a fan of using mages. Um... Except when I played as Claude. If I played as Claude, I always kept Leon in my party just because Leon was so powerful and kind of broken. Um, whereas when I played as Rena, I remember that Rena was the only mage I had on my team because you, you really need a healer in this game, and it's either her or Noel. Um, and Noel is far weaker than she is. So, you know, you'd have to have Rena and then three people who could gush. Um, so, you know, I'd usually do like Prissus. And then either Ashton, Diaz, and Claude. And that usually was enough to help me murderize, but the final boss was just nasty in that game. I was not a fan. He was really cool looking, like all his forms and stuff, like the crazy angel wings and stuff, but um, I just remember he was such a pill. That being said, I giggled every time I beat the game because I always got the Claude-Ashton ending. And that was back when I was a Yahweh fangirl, so I always used to giggle like a stupid girl about it. That was a very easy ending to get. I think I got that ending too for some reason. Yeah, I think it just has to, I think they just become really good buddies. It's it's hard not to to like Ashton. Well, the translation really in the original version um, really misrepresents their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was growing up and being a big part of the Star Ocean fan community, a lot of people used to take that scene way out of context for like Toad's Gay Time. Um, which was awful because, you know, the game already establishes that Claude likes Rena and Ashton likes Pressis. But Yahweh fangirls, they don't care. So, you know, they take those scenes out of context. Let's just like, um, a lot of the scenes with Claude just always got taken out of context because Claude is already a very awkward character. So you could just take his awkwardness and then just change the lines and like fangirls had a ball. But, I mean, I loved Claude. He was just so cute. And he loved bunnies. And the bunnies well, everyone, every, are everyone, awesome. uh, everyone loves bunnies in Star Ocean. You have to love bunnies. They're, like the... they're so fat. <laughs> and I and have pink. a thing for... They're fat and pink. 
Like, how could you not love them? Um, but yes, I digress. I mean, we we should probably move on to the next one. <laughs> so, well, be, before I go, um, I need to go to work pretty get some lunch first. Uh, I was just going to say goodbye, because at the point where I stopped playing the series. Um, and you should be glad of it. And you yeah, should be glad of it. <laughs> well, I, know, but I, I did find out why Blue Spear never made it to America. Oh, what's that? Officially, because um, by the time they were considering it, um, there first of all, there were issues with the amount of text to translate and fit into a Game Boy Color cartridge, and also the fact that the entire company was gearing up for the Game Boy Advance. And so... Yeah, so they weren't interested in bringing over a Game Boy Color game that would be wait, rather wait, wait. Pl- problematic. Did did Trius even release anything for the Game Boy Advance? Hmm. No, because they decided not to port this one over to Game Boy Advance. Oh. Instead, they ported it over to cell phones three years ago. Figure that one out. Uh. Well, I remember you posted the screens for those. Like, it was gorgeous looking for a cell phone game. Oh, yeah, so eventually they might... Put it up for a download platform, I guess. But here's the hoping. Well, I think that would be great if they could. Okay. So sounds like I mean overall that each of you have really uh, enjoyed these games. So you think our listeners should go out there and rush out and get the PSP version of it? I I would highly recommend both Star Ocean First Departure and Star Ocean Second Evolution. They're they're both great games. They're both a lot of fun. They have great cast of characters. The translation. Is easily the best of the translations in this entire series, which is it was kind of sad when you think about it. But I digress. It it they're just they're really good games, and they're definitely worth experiencing if you haven't. And yeah, I'm, Sam. I'm with Adrian. Um, definitely, if you can get the PSP versions, go for those. Uh, don't be a stupid idiot like me who still plays the PlayStation version with the very bad translation and still has giggle fits over, you know, I'm going to turn you into a beehive and poison pills. Um, the voice acting is so much better in the new games that um, it's definitely worth experiencing those than going back to bad voice acting land and uncanny valley. <laughs> Mr. Baker? Yes? Do you recommend that people go out and buy these two games? Well, I'm considering buying these two games. <laughs> PlayStation version, at least PlayStation version of Second Story. Fair enough. They, if, if you if you really want to buy Blue Sphere, go ahead. It will work on your Game Boy Color. It's gonna be fun to figure out. If you wanna and if you wanna grab these two games uh, for your PlayStation Portable, you can get uh, Star Ocean First Departure for about fifteen, sixteen dollars, brand new, or get it used for around uh, thirteen or so bucks. Not much cheaper used, actually. Might as well just grab it in the shrink wrap. And uh, let's see, the second uh, evolution is going for about fifteen dollars, sixteen, seventeen dollars used. And it's going for almost $30 brand new. So and I'm just looking up those prices. Cur- prices are courtesy of Half.com. So check it out. Sounds like a couple of great additions to your PSP RPG library. And a couple of reasons why um, later on in the PSP's life cycle anyways, it really became a, a nice home for some good RPGs. All right, well, we are going to take... A brief respite while you listen to some wonderful music from the Star Ocean series. We'll be right back.
we're back. We're going to talk now about Star Ocean Till the End of Time. Uh, this was uh, developed by Triace Publish uh, here in North America by Square Enix. Uh, this was released in Japan on February 27th, uh, 2003, and here in North America on August 31st, 2004. This is a single and multiplayer, if you've got the awesome Director's Cut Edition, multiplayer experience action RPG. And this is rated T for Teen. And, I, and I've actually got a few things to say. I'm going to do my preface here. Um, and Because and, I actually did get this game. I actually played this game for a bit. Now, I want to preface my preface by saying anybody who knows me knows that I'm not the super best person in the world for sticking through games uh, to the end. Unless they absolutely captivate me, it doesn't take much to throw me off track sometimes. With that being said, I started playing Star Ocean. I kind of liked the idea. It was kind of a futuristic RPG, kind of went away from the standard uh, at least that's what was on the box, <laughs> you know, from the standard uh, RPG fair, whatnot. I remember playing it for a, a while, kind of intrigued with the battle system and stuff, was kind of getting in the groove, um, but I hit a really bad wall in the difficulty spike, which I is... I can guess where that was. Yeah, which is kind of unusual because normally difficulty spikes don't really bother me a whole lot. I usually play my, you know, play my that RPGs. That was a hell of a difficulty spike. But it was. was a hell of a spike, and it threw me off the roller coaster. I mean, it's like the roller coaster just went upside down, and I fell out. And uh, and I never picked it up uh, back then. And that left... Uh, and I had actually sunk a bit of time into the game, and that had left such a bad taste in my mouth that, uh, that I didn't really really get into Star Ocean 1 and 2 when they came on the PSP because I was like, why am I going to waste my time when Star Ocean 3 uh, made me feel so silly when I fell off the roller coaster? So, and for I, that alone, Star Ocean 3 should be condemned. That alone, so I'm hoping that you – now, uh, but I fully recognize the fact that I am not the typical RP gamer because I sometimes lack the tenacity needed to get through some of those games that are out there. So I'm curious. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm dying to hear what you guys have to say about this game to, to help illuminate uh, my opinion on myself here <laughs> was I was I just being too much of a wimp or was there some legitimacy to my feelings regarding this title so but first let's start off talking before we start uh, talking about the combat or the difficulty or anything like that well, let's do what we always do let's start talking about the story first the story is dumb <laughs> how do you really feel Sam <laughs> it's I'll, I'll, made I'll, of I'll, dumb I'll, 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 explain, I'll, I'll explain the plot the, ga- the game starts off with your main character, whose name is Fate Line God. Br- brilliant, brilliant name. <laughs> Holy- wow, that's deep. <laughs> uh, and anyways, he's on vacation with his family, and his uh, sister-slash-girlfriend-slash-neighbor-slash-I have no idea what the relationship is. It really confuses the hell out of me. Friend! <laughs> In quotations. <laughs> In any case, they're they're on vacation, and this vacation planet, this nice idyllic vacation planet, is attacked by what space pirates, marauders, something like that, and they have to all escape from this horrible, horrible death blast from the sky. And in this whole escape sequence, uh, Fate finds himself separated from everyone, and ends up on uh, an uncharted backwater world, where he tries to make do with what he can, trying to find a way to get back home, and then he meets up with... What is that guy's name? His, uh... Cliff. Cliff, yes. Cliff, the giant... I love Cliff. <laughs> the, the, blonde, the blonde idiot who beats things with his fists. Uh, he, he comes down there and rescues him, and 
tells him that he's uh, needed for something. He's special in some way, as RPG heroes so often are. And uh, he drags him away, and they crash land on yet another backwaters alien planet. This one, they are stuck on for a lot longer, obviously. Yep. And they interfere in metal and do all those great things that JRPG heroes do. It, it's a convoluted mess, but it doesn't really get amazing until you get off that planet and you realize that Fate Line God is sort of like some sort of weird god child or something. And finds a way to... Yes, <laughs> major plot twist and spoiler warning for you all. He They end up in... 4D space, which is exactly like 3D space, except extremely white. <laughs> that makes any sense at all. <laughs> and it turns out his entire universe is just a giant computer simula uh, simulation, which would be really, really cool if it was handled with any kind of thought or intelligence, but it wasn't. That's why and I, said I, it's I think dumb. We'll, I think I think we'll end there. The the plot of Starship Three is a jumbled nightmare of plot twists and random happenstance. It is one of the most. It uses Deus Ex Machina almost like it's bread and butter. It's ridiculous. Yeah, this this game is is just in a category all its own for making absolutely no freaking sense. Now, now okay, 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 fair enough. But but certainly the characters must save this game, right? I mean, sometimes we in a lot of RPGs I play, the, the story and the plot, eh, doesn't make a lot of sense. Hey, this is fantasy after all. But 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 certainly, you know, sometimes the characters can really illuminate the title and just really lift it up from whatever ashes are left from the dastardly plot. So maybe it's the characters, right? Well, this game is nice in that you see a lot of new races. Um, you meet, like, the Clausians, who are really burly. So that would be, like, the race that Cliff is. Um, and he has a partner named uh, Mirage, who is... Uh, she's a member of the Anti-Federation organization Quark, um, which is the group that Fate is obviously forced to join because, you know, special protagonist alert. Um... And Cliff is also part of this organization. Um, Cliff has some sort of really weird fascination in fate. Again, this is where the Yahweh fangirls like squee like mad because we don't understand why, but he really is into fate. And again, it's the translation just handles it so poorly, makes Cliff's dialogue into a bunch of sexual innuendos. And he's just awkward. Like, I love Cliff, but that's because I recognize all that stuff in him, and I think it's really silly, but he's he's not exactly handled well as a character. No. Most, and, most of the characters aren't handled well. Like, there, there's some that are just sort of fun because that's all they're there for. They're like the characters in Star Ocean 2 in that they, they don't really serve any purpose other than to be amusing, like Roger. Roger and Pepita. Roger, yeah, Roger and Pepita, exactly. Those two characters both stand out as being just goofy, fun characters to watch. But... Goofy, fun children characters who just... They just do really silly things and just... They're quirky, but they lack the fun quirk of uh, the characters from 2. I did, I did actually quite like Roger. <laughs> I thought Roger was obnoxious. Um, but Pepita is in the category of can't stand. Well, Pepita's dumb as a rock. I mean, I don't, I don't understand where they were going with her. That was yeah. just weird. 
I, I did like um uh what's his name uh the the big burly samurai guy you get towards the end of the game. He's hilarious. Ad- Adre. Adre, yes, I I loved Adre. Adre was awesome. Well, he was he was awesome. <laughs> I mean, and he's voiced by like Bo Billingsley. For if you ever watched Cowboy Bebop, that would be Jet. And he's yeah. just this burly samurai man, and he's he's. But he doesn't he doesn't fight. He's a terrible fighter. That's what's amazing. He's this big burly samurai mind man, but he's. A mage. Yep. He's a mage. Makes, mechanically, it makes no sense at all, but you love it. And then they give us the three very uh, wonderful female characters, and I'm ignoring Pepita because she's a child character and blah. Um, you have Nell, who is this uh, Aquarian agent. She's kind of like a – they try to make her out to be kind of like an assassin in some ways. Um, she's not very good at it, um, and she's just – really boring she's blind exactly yeah and then they give us maria who is a woman who's hunted by the federation she's also boring and a part of 4d space or something because she's just she's intertwined with fate pretty much and and she is fate she's the same character she's just a female version of fate yeah and then of course you have sophia and i'll let you handle sophia because i'm sure you have a lot to say about her She's as dumb as Renoa from Final Fantasy VIII. Oh. Ow. Oh, oh. Hated. <laughs> Sophia. Sophia is everything I hate in a female character. She is irritating. She's obnoxious. She's nosy. And she serves no real good purpose to the game other than to be this pathetic love interest who follows the main character around like a little puppy. A little puppy you want to kick. And what's really bizarre about it, as as a, a female love interest, as a, the main female lead, she doesn't even show up until like 25 hours into the game. You, you meet her in the first few hours, she disappears for half the game, and then she shows up again at level one. At level one, when your characters are like 30. And it's not just that. I mean, at that point in the game, she is so useless that you wonder why they bothered to bring her back in the first place. If anything, I would have accepted her being Danzel in distress because it's like, okay, you're over there. I don't have to deal with you in my party. Um, it's just, you know, you give me eight slots and you fill one of the slots with a really useless character. I am sorry, but I am not accepting that after Star Ocean 1 and 2. No. Um, and like I said, Sophia is just, she's one of the characters who fits in the convoluted mess. Because half the time the game makes her out to be a girlfriend, makes her out to be a fiancé, makes her out to be a best friend. Um, and they never properly clarify the relationship between her and Fate. Half what the time exactly- she seems like a sister, and that's the weird thing yeah. too. That makes no sense to me. And Fate and Sophia's relationship is very creepy. How they treat each other. Because of that kind of sisterly sort of relationship... Um, like, Fate half the time teacher treats her like a sister, but she doesn't want to be treated like a sister. And you can tell that Fate doesn't 100% re- re- reciprocate the feelings, but then the game decides at some point that apparently he does, a la Final Fantasy VIII, where it's like, oh, I think I love her. And then my face just hits a desk a couple times. That's something I really, really hate in JRPGs, where they just decide that apparently there has to be a romance because these two are the the main male and female, despite the fact that they have no substance. 
what I appreciated about the first two Star Ocean games is at least with Ronix and Ilya, Claude and Rena, you saw the chemistry between them. You saw that the relationships worked. The chemistry was there. The game was gearing towards those relationships becoming solidified. In Star Ocean 3 with Fate and Sophia, you don't have that at all. It's just sort of a, oh, by the way, I went to 40 space. Apparently I love you. It's like bull. Bull crap. <laughs> I mean, I hated Fate as is. I thought he was just so stupid as a character. And I will, I will say this. I hated Fate more than I hated Maverick in Star Ocean 4. Really? I hated Fate. Fate was just dreadful. Honestly, they're kind of the same character, but still. They I mean... are, but I will give Maverick the credit that he reminded at least, me. At least, at least Fate doesn't look like a complete tool. <laughs> no, uh, see, that's why I liked Maverick. <laughs> Maverick was a tool, but he was a fun tool. Because <laughs> he was... <laughs> that and that's the problem with the the latter two Star Ocean games is that they give us these characters, don't really flesh them out, kind of make them um, very flat for the most part, and the aspects that they want you to care about, you just can't. You can't because you don't care about what's happening to them. Um, like there's another character that we didn't even talk about, uh, Abel or Abel. Abel's a psychopath. That's that's his character. He's, he's much, a nut job who likes killing things. Yep, like, apparently we're supposed to care about that, but, you know, girls care about him because he wears no shirt. And could be totes gay for fate, too, I don't know. I gotta stop picking on the Star Ocean Yahweh community. But it's so easy. <laughs> but Abel is the perfect example of, you know, shonen pretty boy who is, like, a psychotic murderer who has no remorse in half the things he does because we need a character like that in every JRPG. Yes, we do. I just, I never got the appeal. I don't, I don't get why they made him a party member. I mean, he was okay. He was good as a villain. As a villain, you could understand him. He's a psychopath. You want to kill him. But when he's in your party, you still want to kill him, but now you can't. Yeah. The games weren't very good about that. Again, he had no real purpose to be in the party, and another reason why just a lot of the plot doesn't make sense, a lot of these people don't really have a good reason to be in the party. At least with Star Ocean 2, most of the time it was just a joke. You ran into it by accident through private action or whatever, so it makes sense. But here, these are actually like people you meet through plot events. Like, major plot events in most cases. So you're essentially forced to take them whether you like it or not which is you know it takes a lot of the fun out of what makes the first two games so great now I do have one more gripe with this game and it comes in the form of the battle system there was something that they added to this game that made me hate my life and made me put the game away for a while and it took me maybe three years before I actually mustered the courage to finish it and that was the MP death Really? I actually kind of liked the MP death. I thought it was a good good mechanic. Not entirely well implemented, but it, it did add an interesting level of strategy to the game, I thought. I didn't mind the strategy aspect. I didn't like the amount of cheap deaths that came with it. And most of the deaths were cheap. 
and it drove me crazy. I didn't like the fact that I had to sit there and be like, you know, I have to monitor your MP more so now, even though you're not a mage and it doesn't really apply. I kind of thought that was irritating. I was not a fan. Then, oh my god, I, we didn't even talk about the awful crafting system. Well, you know what? I could go on for hours about the crafting system, so let's 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 stick to the battle system for a minute. Because there, there was things about the battle system that I liked that I thought were really good, and things that were just a convoluted mess that didn't make any a lot of sense. Like uh, the 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 blocking system was insane. I don't know where they came up with that idea or why they thought it was a good idea, but um, to block <laughs> to to block in Star Ocean Three. You have to stand still. That, yes. That's how you block. You, 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 it's, it, there's no button pressed or anything like that. You just stop moving and you block. It's the weirdest thing. It completely breaks the flow of combat. It turns in what should be a simple, uh, an enjoyable action RPG into this bizarre thing that seems to think it's a turn-based strategy or something like that. It, does, it just doesn't make sense. Well, the biggest beef I had with the combat system outside of the MP death was the fact that the game was very stop-and-go in terms of the battle system. Um, I found with the first two games, you know, most of the stopping part was just going into a menu, maybe healing your dudes. Um, but the, I remember, yeah, the blocking was a, really atrocious, just because you had to stop, and then they would hope that maybe they would block. And most of the time, it seldom worked anyways. Well, that's because they had your strong attacks and your weak attacks. And yeah. the, the thing about it was, if they did the weak attacks, they'd be stunned for a couple of seconds. That was that was okay. But most of the time, if you, if you have to stop to block, when the enemies get to you to attack, they're going to use a strong attack. And then you have to Absolutely. start moving again because you can't block it. It's it's pointless. I mean, the only, the only real benefit to the blocking was to stop the quick attacks. And in order to stop the quick attacks, you need to be able to do it quick. You can't just... You, you can't plan for it. You, you just have to... It, it just didn't make any sense. A button press would have made a lot more sense in that situation. And let's not forget the anti-attack auras. Oh, yes. Those things that were completely worthless and didn't really do much at all. Because they are tied into blocking, obviously. Yep. Like, just some of the additional things that they would try to layer into the battle system most of the time for me didn't work. I mean, I love the idea of the strong attack and the weak attacks. I think that's a great idea because it forced you to strategize a little bit in terms of how you could break someone else's guard. Oh, I, I agree. I, I agree with that, and I like the. I also like the uh, the fact that you could strat uh, choose whether you wanted to attack an enemy's HP or MP because a lot of the times they had huge amounts of HP, like un untouchable amounts of HP, but only like 100 or 200 MP, and you could kill them a lot faster that way. It was a great way to to make you think about the battles, but just, just the way they handled a lot of the combat elements, they tried. I think they tried to do too much. They they tried to implement too many ideas, and they didn't seem to pick up on the fact that a lot of them were disparate. They didn't go together properly, and the result was a combat system that just felt clunky and out of place. Well, and for me, I mean, I generally like playing a melee character in Star Ocean. This was one of the few times where, I remember when I played this one, I specifically sat and played the mage. I played Babysitter. And I hate playing Babysitter in an RPG. But most of the time, I mean, the AI in this game was also in a case of special. Because sometimes it'd be like, please go after the guy with the least amount of HP. That would be what the tactic says. And they're going for the guy who I'm not even pointing at. 
So half the time the AI was kind of doing its own thing. So it was safer for me, you know, as a player. I'm like, you know what? I don't have the patience for you guys being stupid. I'm going to stand here and heal and be the healer and be bored out of my mind because I'm not in the fray. So I didn't really like that aspect of having to play babysitter a lot in this one. But then again, the unbalanced difficulty of this game caused me to do that a lot. And I think that also kind of dampered my enjoyment in a lot of ways. Well, the unbalanced difficulty is another thing we can talk about, and that actually ties into the crafting system. So why don't we get into that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so we talked about you talked about the story, which sucked, but the sound like for the most well, part. I mean, can I, can I I'd like to clarify a little bit there with the story. Um, I don't, I don't think it entirely sucked. It was, it was bizarre. It didn't make a lot of sense, but. It had its moments. It had its moments where it was fun. It was entertaining. When it didn't try to take itself seriously, when it didn't try to focus on the characters that had no substance, it, it, it was, was fun. It was, it was terrible. But uh, yeah, well, exactly. When it wasn't focusing on the characters that had no substance, it was fun. It was entertaining, and it was actually fairly like what, translated enough that the dialogue didn't make you want to cringe, at least not entirely. So. It, it wasn't a complete loss on that department, but it definitely wasn't good. Hmm. Okay, so, I mean, alright, kind of bad then, whatever. And the, But the characters were kind of good, so they kind of offset each other. No, the characters were bad in this one. I mean, out of most of the ones you had, the majority of them were flat or stupid. Uh. <laughs> and with the exception of, like, Roger, who was brilliant. He's the manliest man you'll ever see in an RPG. Yeah. And he wears an army helmet. But yeah, it was characters like Roger, Adre, and uh, I guess Cliff, Cliff and Pepita to a lesser extent. Uh, they they sort of added something to the game where e even when it was getting ridic into the ridiculous territory, it was still entertaining and at least it, it saved it to a degree. It saved it enough so that it was still an, an enjoyable experience. I mean, it wasn't a complete loss. No, it. Like I said, I pick on this game for like its plot and its characters, but do I think it's the worst of the four games? Absolutely not. I actually think it has far more saving graces than the next one we're going to talk about. And I, um, I agree with that. That being said, you know, like I said, Adrian's right in that this game tries to do way too much. The crafting system, which Adrian, you can explain because oh, that was God. a mess. Um, just further proves the point of how complex this game was trying to be, but kind of fails at explaining itself. The crafting system is actually the perfect example of how a failure to explain something in a game can lead to disaster. Star Ocean 3 is the single, the, the one and only game I have ever played where a strategy guide is absolutely essential. It is impossible to play this game without a strategy guide, and that is because of the crafting system, how much the game relies on it, and how in completely insane, obtuse, and unintelligible it actually is. The crafting system works in a, in a way that just, it's, it makes absolutely no sense to anyone until you actually explain it to them, and you think, okay, th this kind of makes sense, but why didn't they explain any of this? So, so basically how it works is, instead of collecting items and things like that, like most crafting systems do, to create new items, you spend money. You, you have an item creation, an invention room, where you can create a line of characters, and all your characters have different abilities and different crafting sets that allow them to do different things. 
uh, like that they can do different things in different ways. And on top of that, every character has certain items that they can invent and certain items that they can't invent. But of course, you have to do figure all this out by trial and error. Um, you, you start a line, which just basically starts spending money every time I go through, and then there's a chance that it'll succeed or it will create. And what item it creates is based on how much money you're spending on the line. Now, you don't actually choose how much money you're spending on the line. It decides it randomly. It basically selects from all the items that can possibly be created, picks an, uh, and shows you the number value of that item. It doesn't tell you what the item is. It just shows you the value. You try creating it. And then if you're successful, you create the item. So obviously you can see how this makes very little sense. But the, the important thing to realize here is in order to make any use of this crafting system at all, you need a table that tells you the value of the items, who can make them, and what number to look for in, in the item menu when in order to try to make this item. So... It requires a, an insane amount of effort to do something that should should have been as simple as clicking a button. Yeah. See why it's such a mess? <laughs> yeah, I'm and, with you about the chart thing, because I remember I had to do that. Well, I have the official strategy guide, and that's the only way I was actually able to beat the game, is because I could make use of the crafting system. Um, there is a point in the game where the difficulty spikes so hard that unless you abuse the crafting system and uh, improve your weapons with it, you cannot progress. It's just not possible. Now, let's tell people what part this is, because it comes... It's not like it's towards the end. It's actually pretty mid-point, in the middle. It? It's right smack dab in the middle, actually. It's, uh, the, the, the point where the difficulty starts to spike is right in between where... Uh, Right after the major battle on the second planet you visit, which I, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head now. Yeah. But uh, it's the main planet. It's the planet you spend the most time on. But as soon as this major battle happens and you – this is where you meet Maria and, uh, and a few other uh, new characters. But once that happens, at that point, all the enemies in the game become significantly stronger. And at that point, you need, you need to start looking at item creation. By the time you get to – an area it, I can't remember what it was. It's an area with a sort of smoky mist in it. It's like a a tunnel or like a dragon tunnel or something like that. At that point in the game, the enemies are so strong that unless you've bolstered your weapons to do about well, basically five or six times the damage they normally do, you can't kill anything. You won't even do damage to them, and that's how busted this game really is. Yeah, I I mean, I think I remembered, because I remember I had such a hard time with the crafting system at first, I think I spent more time grinding, and then when I realized, you know what, this isn't getting me anywhere, I had to look online to get a chart. And then when I realized, oh god, I actually have to try to make sense of this line system, um, I remember feeling so overwhelmed that I I did put the game away for months on end, just because... I was so frustrated with it. And that that difficulty curve, it it does come out of nowhere. Like there's there's no gradual yeah. lead into it. It just no, it hits it's just, you. It, it, it's there and then suddenly you just can't progress. It's it's a ridiculous, ridiculous game design. And honestly, the thing that really shocks me about the game 
and and shocks me about the fan base is that is how much uh how much um how how, how many people excuse this uh how many people think that oh you just don't know how to play the game you're not playing it right and it baffles my mind that people defend this sort of game design when it's so clearly broken and nonsensical yeah but we've established that the star ocean fan base is far more forgiving towards everything which i guess could lead us into the next game (laughs) i suppose it could i think we've uh, pretty much exhausted topics for star ocean 3 well i can't tell you what a burden this has been off my back to know that i just wasn't being you know too wimpish or you know just just not hanging in there when i should have because yeah that was one of those games i really did sit down and say you know what i i do have a little you know sas going on sometimes uh tension deficiency disorder whatever and i tend to you know not play games all the way through but i'm gonna sit down and place this star ocean game it's star ocean yay great series i'm gonna get through it and then i hit that brick wall i'm like holy crud and and admittedly i'm not a huge fan i don't i do remember there being a creation system in there i'm not the kind of guy who sits around and farts around with such systems for for hours if, if i run into a store i'm gonna buy something i can craft something real fast on there great but if i have to look up faqs and spend hours or spend hours you know mixing different things to try to get the best I, please <laughs> i i just i i'll just usually in most games you can get by that's just like for the making extra cool stuff or extra powerful stuff but you can get through just buying the stuff in the store if you really want to um so yeah that that when that wall hit me i was like i went back to the store and and no there wasn't anything more powerful on sale it was like what what am i missing here so apparently it was spending hours and hours or reading a lot of faqs regarding the item creation system well that sucks as people who listen to the podcast know i am not a big fan of games that force you to go to faqs in order to proceed it makes me cranky well, that's that's what's remarkable. This game is this is the only game that I've ever played that actually does force you. There, there's no way to beat the game without doing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even a big fan of games that don't force you. But it, it, if you don't, you're gonna spend like anywhere from three to ten extra hours in the game. Whereas if you had the FAQ and you just knew what magic items to put together, you knew where the magic X Y Z was at. Uh, you know, you would have uh, been able not to have to spend eight hours grinding, and so I, I'm, I'm. That's one, of, one of my things. I'm just an ten of that way. I get, I heck, that's I knocked down um, Castlevania Order of Ecclesia half a point or so just because I couldn't find that stupid damn lost man hiding man evil. Ah, but that's another story. All right, so <laughs> we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take another break and let you listen to some more music while I do some more swearing and cursing or anything my breath, and we'll be right back to talk about another hope, our last hope for a good Star Ocean game in the series. We'll be right back.
talk about Star Ocean The Last Hope. This was developed by our good friends at Tri Air Bitter Enemies at Tri Ace. <laughs> and <laughs> with some help from Square Enix, published by Square Enix, uh, this was released on the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3. This was released in North America on the Xbox in February 23rd, 2009, and later on the PlayStation 3, February 8th. 2010. This is a single-player action RPG, RPG rated T for Teen. And I remember, uh, I remember when uh, when this game came out. I was eagerly looking forward to the reviews, especially uh, the PlayStation 3, because that's what I have. Because there really isn't a whole lot of JRPGs on the PlayStation 3 at all. Um, so I was all excited and looking forward to this, but I decided to wait for this podcast instead. Decide whether or not to buy it. Two years later. <laughs> so, you guys are going to convince me tonight whether or not The Last Hope is really my answer for my last hope for a good RPG on my PlayStation 3. Who wants to well, start off talking about this story? Well, well so the, the, short, the short answer the, the short answer is that it's not. Come Sorry. And the long answer is also that it's not. Thank you for dashing his hopes. <laughs> I must perform um, the Japanese ritual of honorable suicide. <laughs> uh, All right, so. Well, I'm actually kind of afraid to talk about this after what happened last time I did. Well, let's think. You reviewed the game. And then I stupidly was like, you know, I can't believe that Adrian gave this game that score. And then I went and played it and then was like, hmm, Adrian's right. Actually, no, you, go... you disagreed with me. You thought it was worse than I did. I know. That was the funny <laughs> thing. I was like, Adrian played this, and he liked it more than I did. I And the thing oh. was, I distinctively remember the conversation we had about it because I was like, damn, I was so excited for Star Ocean 4, but I don't have an Xbox because at the time... You know, my husband wasn't living with me. So, you know, he had his Xbox and he was like, there is no way in hell I'm letting you put that crappy game on my Xbox. So I said, fair enough. So I waited till I found the PS3 version for 20 bucks and I bought it and I said, well, okay, you know, maybe, maybe the international version has enough differences that it's not so bad. I remember I popped the disc in, I talked to Adrian, he's like, so how are you enjoying Star Ocean 4? And I just remember grumbling and going... I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Star Ocean 4 actually holds a distinction on RP Gamer as being the source of the longest review thread we've ever had. It reached somewhere, somewhere close to 400, uh, 400 responses, if I remember right. It also served wow. for Adrian getting death threats. Uh, yeah, I received uh, about seven or eight com- ridiculous emails threatening me in various ways. Uh, insulting me in hilarious ways, actually. But uh, if only we still had some of the responses, we could share them with people. I'm pretty sure I deleted most of those. I know, but I'm sure the forum thread still lives on in our. Oh, hearts. the the forum. Actually, the forum thread thro- still lives on in uh, our forum. It's still there. If anyone wants to find out, we'll actually. Inc- I think we'll include a link to it for uh for the lols, as it were. And it's not just that, because after Adrian had posted his review, our forums got hacked and everybody's avatars got changed. Actually, to that, that was a mistake. That that we we thought it got hacked. It was actually a yeah. it was actually a glitch in our system, but because of the timing, <laughs> so we thought we were hacked. 
<laughs> and yeah, those- everyone's form after Star was changed to a Star Ocean logo. And we were all like, well, gee, this couldn't happen at a more appropriate <laughs> time. So funny uh, to watch Adrian's review thread go completely ballistic. And then I, of course, decide, you know, a year later to review the PS3 version. I didn't get the hate mail Adrian got. I don't know if it's because I'm cute and perky. I think it was because it was okay. so long after it was released. Yeah. And then people were like, you know, what is wrong with you? This is one of the most gorgeous looking games ever. The plot is fantastic. It wraps everything up nicely. And I just remember Adrian and I looking at the new thread and going, are people whacked? Because Star Ocean 4 is by far the worst of the four, ga- of the four games, not counting Blue Sphere, because we didn't play it, but Gaijin did. The reason why it is the worst game ever is because of the fact that it does so much wrong. And, and only just- one thing right. It does one, one thing, thing right, right and a whole bunch of things wrong. Yeah. The one thing it does right is that it has the best iteration of the Star Ocean battle system. And the additions that it adds, such as the blindside feature, is amazing. It's brilliant. It's addictive. It's addictive. You want to go into combat. You want to <laughs> fight baddies. I mean, blindsiding somebody is essentially, you know, you target them and then you would shift to jump behind them. And you get like an extra pot shot in most cases. So it was addictive just to get blindside after blindside after blindside because you could just abuse that system and just rip enemies to shred. Um, like I, I adored that system and I made sure that I tried it with every single character in the game just to see the different kinds of results that I would get. Loved it. Loved the idea of rush mode, um, which is just essentially your characters are freakishly overpowered when in rush mode. And they can just abuse their abilities further. Um, The battle system was just amazing. Like, I think I sat there for days on end just getting into battles. Because grinding in that game, you didn't have to do a lot of it, but it was fun. It was the only fun thing about the game. (laughs) Because somehow it managed to take everything else that we all love from the series and just mangle it. Not even mangle it, just... The stuff that we love from the series isn't even there. It's it's missing. It it the game feels hollow. It it's a, a battle system with a bunch of stuff wrapped around it that they didn't even think about. They didn't pay any attention to it even. It they I think they spent so much time working on the battle system, getting it perfect, that they ignored every other facet of the game. And the result is that it's just not fun to play. It's frustrating. It's boring. It's exhausting even. Like, the story, let's just put it out there, the story is stupid okay, and probably I, I, more stupid than 3. I, I disagree there. I think actually the, the plot of the game It has is, good ideas. I think the plot of the game is actually the strongest in the series. It's the way they dealt with it that was the issue. The char- it's the way that the characters are implemented. The way with the, the plot. The, the way that the dialogue is written. I mean, the, the whole... All the writing is absolutely atrocious. The only thing that's actually decent in the story is the plot itself. I have nothing against the plot. When I say that I think the plot is is dumb, I am referring to the dialogue, the characters, and how the characters interact with the really neat idea presented by the plot and how they react to the necessary um, actions of the plot. The reactions they have are unrealistic, bizarre most of the time, and you just look at it like the the shell of the plot is essentially that 
in AD 2064, Earth is faced with a third world war after several crosses between World Republic Federations. Um, both sides are harboring weapons of mass destruction and the people of Earth, um, they fear the idea of total annihilation. When a ceasefire is finally announced, uh, both factions, the population of Earth dwindling, um, there's so many different factors to survival that the World Federation is trying to cope with how to deal with people facing um, famine and all kinds of different new diseases that they've discovered. Um, so what they do is that the Universe Science and Technology Administration, um, they're looking for the last survivors of Earth um, and so that they can create a new planet to inhabit. And our main character, Mr. Lovely Edge Maverick. Um, Best name ever. <laughs> he's such a tool. Um, he's a rookie officer trying to, you know, up his status. Um, and he volunteers to take on a mission to save mankind. Um, when he gets to his first mission on the planet Eos, um, he is immediately given the rank of captain. For no good reason, really. He's just, you're captain now. Okay. Um, mostly just because, like, the original captain, I think people were killed. Yeah, people died. And then they were just I, like, yeah, you, you get to be new captain just because everybody else like, is dead. <laughs> so he, how I, he, Hey, 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 don't, don't knock that. That's how I got my job as the lead reviewer here. Yes. <laughs> that being said, I mean, you got to love Edge's reaction to it. Um, he's freaking thrilled. <laughs> To become the captain. Uh, um, he didn't really earn the title. He's just given it. And he's just thinking, like, this is the best day of my life, despite everybody dying. <laughs> um, because he's now the captain. Um, now, it's it's just pretty funny to watch him because, you know, there's famine going on. People are dying. And just the way that he reacts to all the evils in the world is just so special. Like, he's just so funny. Because half of the things that he does in the game, just um, his reaction towards things is just ridiculous. Because the beginning of the game, it really is all about him. He has a bit of a self-absorbing problem, which is, it's fun to watch because it's just, it's all about him. It's like, I'm the captain now, you have to do as I say. And meanwhile, the other characters are kind of like reacting to it and going like, you're kind of being a douche. And he's like, nope, I'm awesome, don't worry about it. Um... He has no good reason to be doing half the stuff he does in the game. And it isn't until he has, like, an epiphany that he's supposed to grow as a character. Except that his epiphany comes so late in the plot that it's just like, yeah, buddy, you should have had that sooner. So that's what makes it frustrating. There's this really good core idea, but you have a main character who is too stupid for the core idea. One of the things I really liked about Star Ocean 4 is the fact that for the first time in the series, the game actually takes place on more than one planet. It, it's yes. not constricted to one planet for the whole time. In fact, you, you go back to Roke, the planet from Star Ocean 1, for a significant amount of time. It's definitely, that's definitely the largest area in the game. But you visit at least a half dozen to a dozen planets over the course of the game yeah. and, and space stations and whatnot. And it definitely brings the, the idea of space travel to life in a way that the series has never done before. And space exploration, it makes it feel a lot more like what the series has always been trying to mimic, and that's Star Trek. And, and that's a good thing. I like that. And uh, I also like the fact that the plot was, uh, especially the villain, I, I, liked, I liked FaZe as a villain. He was uh, a good villain. Oh, he was a great villain. Actually, he's one of the characters that somehow you just reminded me didn't suck. 
Yeah, he was the only character that didn't suck, really. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there, there was only one real section of the plot that I thought was completely ancillary and didn't make any sense at all. And that was that random, bizarre trip to 1960s Earth. Yes. <laughs> Where the only reason that they took you there was just to show Edge Maverick that, hey, war happened. Hey, famine happened. I kind of get. I thought the only reason that they went, uh, the the only pr- purpose of that trip was to pick up the kitty girl. Well, it is. <laughs> but you have the one guy who you meet who helps you go get kitty girl, and he talks about how how the world was before, and then he talks about how well that's not really that important anymore. What I want you to do is just go get kitty girl for me, and the way that the dialogue describes his relationship with kitty girl is really creepy. Yes, yes, it is. Kitty Girl was just creepy in general, but hey, wasn't there a when when this game was first announced? There was a screenshot that we had with some absolutely terrible dialogue that we we all laughed at, and we couldn't figure out who was talking. We all thought it was Edge who was talking. It turned out it was the Kitty Girl, but we we actually had that quote up on our index for a long while because it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. Some, oh. Something about the kitty girl happy that she finally had some friends or something like that. Yes. Yes. She goes, <laughs> I'm so happy. I finally have friends. And it's just the delivery of the line. It's just so atrocious. It's awful. And it's uh. hard not to just pee your pants laughing. And, <laughs> and that's the thing. The voice acting in this game really just brings to light how atrocious the dialogue is in this game. <laughs> it does. Um, there's a character oh. named uh, Limmel. Oh, and Limmel God. is a perfect example of bad voice acting. Um, she is completely monotone. Like, apparently in the Japanese version, just she was supposed to end most of her sentences with K. But yeah. it worked in Japanese, the however way that they did it. But in English, she'd just be like, I don't really like you, K. I think you're stupid, Kay. Fate, it made uh, no sense. Edgy is really, really creepy, Kay. Like, just dreadful. Our, she Every- wasn't even the worst, though. No, the she's... absolute worst voice actor was Sarah. Oh, oh my god. So Sarah, the, <laughs> the feather folk person of the game, just... Oh, god. She's dumb as a brick. She's like, I can't fly, and it's really depressing. You know what? Calling her a dumb as a brick is an insult to bricks everywhere. Yes, no, (laughs) it's true. I should take that back. Um, Is there something stupider that we can (laughs) apply to her? Because, first off, Sarah is related to Yashua, which is from the first Star Ocean, which is terrifying if you think about it, because Yashua was a really intelligent and really wonderful character um, to have him be related to this really obnoxious, stupid bimbo drove me crazy. I could not believe that they were related in some way. And like Sarah's just, just the way that the voice actress um, would do the dialogue. It just made her really dippy. So you would just question her intelligence every time she opened her mouth. It, it was painful. It was painful to listen to. Like, I, I could I could put up with the bad voice acting from the other characters, but Sarah just made I, she made my ears bleed. It was incredible how bad it was. Well, and the worst part was she was the best healer in the game. So she that, that was as really soon as sad. you got her, 
as soon as you got her, she was pretty much mandatory to have in I, your party. Because I managed to I managed to get away without using her. Who did you end up using in exchange? Because I think I ended up using Limmel instead. Um, her healing was, was not that great. Because I think I, I was avoid Sarah. I think I was using Limmel. I'm not 100 percent sure. It was either, either Limmel or I think I had Phase using it, and then of course the whole thing with that happened, and I had to use someone else. And I don't remember who I finished the game using. Like I remember my final party because my final party was Edge, Raimi, um, Limmel, and uh, was it Amiria? Who she's actually one of the few characters where the voice acting wasn't atrocious. She was just a really sexy elf lady who researches things. That, that's all you need to know about her. She really didn't have any real characterization other than I'm really sexy and I'm a researcher. I think actually I used Raimi as my healer now that I think about it. Well, Raimi could do some healing, which was a start. The nice part about this particular game, though, um, and something that we didn't mention about the battle system, is that if somebody dies, you can just switch in somebody else from your eight. So yes. it's like, oh, somebody dies, you just switch in a new body and it's not a big deal. You just keep going. So that was a fantastic addition. Too bad the characters were just not that interesting <laughs> or just really and creepy. It, it, that's, the, that's the other thing. Is the, creepy, the creepy factor is another thing, and that had to do with the visuals. I mean, th- this game had some of the, the most contrasting visuals I've ever seen. I mean, the characters, they, they wanted to be realistic, and at the same time, they wanted to be anime. And the result was... I don't know how to describe it. Creepy is a way to describe it, but I don't. I don't know if that does it justice. It was some just of them look really, really mannequin-like. Um, Miracle, the cat girl, had a really creepy mannequin face, uh, and so did Sarah. Actually, a lot like the female characters were really hit and miss looking. Like Raimi, I thought didn't look really creepy at all, uh, and neither did Miria. But the other three girls were really disturbing looking uh, with certain facial expressions. Yeah. Like, Limble always had the expression on her face that she was, like, going to murder you in her sleep. <laughs> I think Why? she would, too. She like, was, she gave she me was nightmares. Girl. She gave me I, nightmares. The, the one thing that I always remember, and this is what really... Uh, this is what took took the visuals over the edge to being so stupid that it was painful, was this one private action involving Welch, and you can obviously see that this is obviously already going bad because it had Welch in it, and we can get it, we can go into Welch for a while because she was absolutely atrocious in this game, by far one of the more annoying characters ever imagined. She was, she was fan service on a platter, and not even good fan service at that, but I digress. Um, this one private action involved Edge, Welch, and Maverick, and Welch being her insane fangirlish self, uh, decided to put on a, a maid outfit. Fit. <gasps> yes, and, that one. And at this point, Bacchus, this giant robot man guy, and he, his jaw drops in a typical anime fashion. Like, if you've ever seen an anime where a character does the jaw drop, their their mouth hangs open. It's just their mouth ends up being twice as big as their entire head. No, imagine a 3D model attempting to do this. A 3D model designed to look semi-realistic attempting to do this. It is the most unnatural thing I've ever seen. And it just, it, it scared me. I, I was just wondering, I just looked at it and I was thinking to myself, what kind of artist would do this? How, how could anyone think this looked in any way good? <laughs> yeah, 
I I remember that scene and I just remember my husband being up the stairs and he's looking and he's going, um, so <laughs> what's, what's wrong with that guy's face? And I'm like, Robot Man decided that he needed to open his jaw that big and Scott looks at me and he goes, you keep playing your really stupid game, okay, honey? <laughs> just, I mean, the visuals in this game... Um, I was incredibly hard on them in my review, and I stand by how hard I was on them. Um, they really feel like somebody just vomited up a bunch of colors. Because the color scheme in this game is just ridiculous most of the time. Um, you know, you'd have, like, pink on purple on blue on green on whatever. Um, and it would really... I know for me, it really started to hurt my eyes at, at times. Because, for example, I played Star Ocean 4 on my PS3... And I played it on a almost 50-inch television. So those colors are just in your face. And they just kept giving me such a headache that I couldn't play the game for so long. I I stand by my analysis that I had in my review that the visuals are trying to do two two distinct and disparate things. They're trying to be realistic and they're trying to be anime. And they're fighting for supremacy in there. And the result is that the background visuals are amazing. They're fantastic. They're gorgeous, actually. See, and that's I want something and, I disagree with. Really? Well, I, I thought a yeah. lot, of, a lot of, a lot of space environments and things like that. I thought the ba- the background visuals and the environments, Some they were, were they were they were very detailed. They were gorgeous. Um, they they worked because they didn't they didn't try to go for the anime look. They they stuck to the realistic design, and for the most part, it worked. It was a little bit more colorful than a typical realistic design, but. It it definitely works, but with the characters, the characters are designed to fight between realis- realism and anime, and it you get that creepy doll effect, and it just it throws the whole thing out of proportion. Well, it just makes makes things a mess. Well, and and part of the problem is because it's tr- also trying to pull the anime aspect. A lot of the gestures look completely unnatural and over exaggerated, which doesn't yeah. work when the model types, like how their bodies are positioned, are supposed to be more realistic. Um, if you look at a character like Raimi, Raimi is a perfect example where, you know, she's she's got a very realistic body type, something that you would see in a regular woman for the most part. I'm not saying perfect here, but um, and the moment that she exaggerated parts of her body, um, especially like facial expressions, arms, legs, the way they moved was very exaggerated too. Like that, that's another thing. The the animation for movement was ridiculous. They'd swing their arms way too far. Yeah. No. No one who walks like that, who moves like that, it it didn't make any sense. I mean, it works when it's an anime because it, it stylizes. It's designed to look unnatural, but in this case, it just it's creepy. It doesn't it's... work. And I don't know. Like there was just so much that was distracting in the visuals. Like I'm not huge on the background visuals because there was a couple of cases where, for me, um, there'd be too much color. And that would kind of give me a bit of a headache. Uh, Aos actually was a perfect example of that, where you'd have the really bright, artificial-looking green trees, and then coupled with something else that felt very artificial-looking. I I found that the visuals, um, the realism aspects are great, but sometimes it came across too artificial-looking in terms of the backgrounds, whereas with the characters, just it was hyper-realism gone wrong. Um, so you couple those two things together and it just makes a visual nightmare. I'm far more forgiving to the background visuals because I, I do like the idea of all the color, the whole puking of color. I think it's interesting. Is it a good design choice? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I'd rather see that than 
the creepy doll syndrome that we get from the game and the characters because people just look so they all look kind of pedophile-ish and ridiculous and like the male characters um and i'm going to excuse phase because phase somehow is one of the only characters that somehow escaped half the problems of the mannequin issues um he really did half the time his expressions were some of the only ones where it looked kind of sane well, I, I wonder if we can attribute that to the fact that he was by far the most important character in the game. Yes. Well, he is the villain. Well, he's he's the main character. I mean, he does more for the plot than Edge or any of the other characters do. Well, and that's kind of what makes this game problematic just in terms of the plot aspects. I mean, we talked about how there's a good core idea with bad characters. But this game is really trying to, in some ways, force feed that Edge is the main character, despite everything that FaZe does to push the story along. Like, I don't know how many times to be like, yeah, FaZe is a far better character because FaZe just has a lot of personality, and he's not, for a character, completely ridiculous. In fact, he has interesting motivations for half the stuff that he does. Um, That being said... You gotta love the game for being like, yeah, FaZe is doing something, but, you know, we're gonna talk about Edge because Edge is the guy that we have to care about. And you have to the love time, the game for that? I thought we should hate the game for that. No, no. You gotta <laughs> love the game for sarcasm. You know, the fact that it would completely ignore the important aspects that FaZe was doing to go back to the yeah. idiocy of Edge. Because apparently the dev- developers thought... Edge was far more interesting to deal with than FaZe was. I think if the game had totally just been about FaZe's evil doings, it would have been an awesome game. Probably would have been much better, yes. But it wasn't. Well, not necessarily, because then again, there's the problems with the level design as well. The the massive areas that that serve no purpose. Yeah. Yeah. But that's far less the game's problems in some ways. Um, But you got to feel sorry for... Uh, phase. He's a character who just is so misplaced in this game, um, and you you just feel sorry for him because it's like here's a great character trapped in, in a like terrible a game. Freak, in a terrible <laughs> game or a freaky circus, and he's probably sobbing to himself that he wants to go home. It's like it, right? You know, creepy clown syndrome. Yeah. Think of the Simpsons episode with Bart in the bed. The creepy clown bed. Yes, yes. That's exactly what FaZe is. He's he's Bart Simpson. And you you gotta feel sorry for him. Especially because like he, his interactions with the other characters are just Oh, I just feel so sorry for him. Like Limel, I hate you, FaZe. And poor FaZe going like I don't Who like you very like much. That? <laughs> Apparently people do. Like the localization is just awful in this game. Um it they really make the is. characters so one-dimensional. The dialogue is so childish most of the time. So uh, in a moment when something is supposed to be really grand and really important, the characters are spouting complete and utter nonsense that they think is important. But the way that it's written, it's like a five-year-old did it. So how do you care about what's coming out of these characters' mouth? How do you care about the plot? You can't. Exactly. The answer is you can't. Okay, so let's say we've talked a lot about 
you know, the stories and the characters and and the graphics and why they just suck so miserably. Um, you mentioned the, the battle system, and there was a, a couple of uh, good things in there that you highlighted. Well, let's say you have an RP uh, gamer out there who is more, you know, combat, character, um, growth, not personality, but, you know, kind of like a Diablo-style type of thing. You know, they don't care. <laughs> you know, they don't care much about story if it's got a good battle system and, they, you know, they can make a strong character and stuff. Does it work in that aspect if you ignore some of these other elements? The, the sad thing is that it really doesn't. Um, yeah, the, I was the, combat, say. the combat system is amazing, and it, it's easy to enjoy it. But the way the other, the rest of the game is designed is you have to slog through all the crap in order to enjoy the battle system. I mean, the, the, the cutscenes are massive; they're ridiculously long. Um, there's the dungeons are huge. There's nothing to do in them. I mean, you there's enemies to fight, and there's loot. Loot, loot, and it's not even like interesting loot. It's not like predetermined loot where you can find a cool weapon or anything like that. You find berries and crap like that that you can use in crafting later on. There, there's, there's nothing important to find. I mean, you can just skip through all the exploration and just try to get to the exit, but even doing that is a pain in the ass because the, the levels are like an hour long, and there's no, there's the save points are spread out more than an hour apart, so you have to, you have to be willing to put in the time. Wow. Because you can't just play it for a couple of minutes and move, uh, yeah. and then you know, s- that, so. save points in and of themselves are really archaic, you know. But but save points that are an hour apart is yeah, wow, more, more than an hour apart. Wow, yeah, an hour apart if you're lucky. Wow, I, you know, wow, that's amazing. I can't even, you know, funny thing is I. I was. We were talking about how in computer games, um, you know, there's not even a, such a thing as a save point or anything for decades. You know, you just save in computer RPGs. You just pretty much save wherever as long as you're not in combat. Occasionally, you might have an RPG that doesn't let you save in the dungeon, but most of them, you're pretty much save anywhere. But uh, consoles, man, that was one of the things was, yeah, they make you do these save points, but... Boy, the hour. I, I played Final Fantasy 13. There was a save point every five seconds, but here, an hour, an hour really? And see, that's, that's where... The, the problem lies. I mean, in, like you said, in Final Fantasy XIII, there's a save point every like every ten paces. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is because they want you to be able to play it in bursts. They don't want it to force you to sit down and play it for two hours on end. And unfortunately, Star Ocean Four does not figure that out. They they do want you to play for two hours on end because, well, they don't put save points anywhere. It's, it's completely insane. Wow. Hmm. Alrighty. Well, I think uh, I think the, the, it's pretty safe for me to to, uh, to gather from what you've said that both of you give this one a big thumbs down. Did uh, what score did you give it on the review? I gave it a two point five, and Sam here gave it a two. <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah. No. I remember finishing the game and then finishing my review, and I said to Adrian, "I am a moron." I am a moron, and I should have listened to you. <laughs> but I have a problem in that I hate seeing certain things get unreviewed, especially if I have it in my collection. Ah. So, you know what? And the other thing is, I love I loved this series, or at least I used to love it. Um, and to be honest, I was far more giving towards, uh, forgiving towards Star Ocean 3's problems, because I didn't think that they entirely destroyed the experience. I mean, other than the lovely difficulty spike that I eventually got over. But this one just, I could not believe what they were handing me. It was like they wanted me to accept this tripe as, you know, as awesome as the first two games. Mm-hmm. 
And I just, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be rewarding to something that just was so half-hearted. And as much as I appreciate the little bits that they tried to connect with the, the other games, um, because, like, this game's title, The Last Hope, really does mean the last hope in this game. <laughs> right? Like, there's actual reference to a last hope. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's connections to the first Star Ocean game all over the place. Um, so when you see those aspects, that's great. Like, those those aspects are great. Because you're just like, oh, yeah, that's from Star Ocean 1. You know, um, some of the characters' relationships, whatever. Those aspects are great. But when they try to force-feed this really questionable game, it's just like, why? Why would you do this? Mm-hmm. Why would you take a series people like and give us this crap and then tell us, you need to like this? You what? You know what the answer to that is? Because we're dumb? No, it's because fanboys are dumb. Yes. And I mean, the review thread alone just shows how incredible the Tri-Ace fan base is. It's, it really is. It's, it's hard to comprehend. Hmm. Well, and, that, and that's just it. I mean, I don't understand how people are so forgiving towards things. Sure, yeah, maybe it doesn't bother you as much. But except that it could be problematic to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest problem with Star Ocean 4, especially when the reviews went up. Because, you know, when we made our complaints, you know, people were thinking that it was word of law. Hmm. That what Adrian and I said is exactly how every person is going to feel. And we never once made it the case at all. Mm-hmm. We, just ex- we just exposed our experiences and said, you know what? This doesn't work. From a critic's standpoint, it does not work. And they really should have taken a different approach to making it a more enhanced and enjoyable experience. And people were just like, nope, you guys are dumb because, you know, you're shitting all over something I like. And you know what? I'm sorry, but it's a critic's job to be brutally honest. We don't like something. We're going to tell you. And I just remember when the reviews came up for this game, just how ridiculous half the scores were. I mean, you were it really like, was remarkable. Eights, nines. I think I saw a ten in there once, and I'm thinking, have we lost our minds? Mm, well, let's take a look yes. at that so I can see how yeah. this is. Well, it's a 76, 77, um, but you got like Gaming Trend gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, Gamer Review gave it an 8.2 out of 10. Uh, PSX Stream uh, gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, Game Focus gave it an 8.7. Game Industry News gave it a 4 out of 5. So there's a lot of uh, hype scores. For some reason, RP Gamer gave it a 2 out of 5. I don't know what happened there. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, I was, you know, it just so happened to be I was on it because, um, you know, I'm, we do the blast from the recent past, and this game is very appropriate uh, to fill that segment as well because it came out uh, just a little under two years ago. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of looking at it. But, yeah, there's, there's the reviews, uh, for the most part, are, are actually pretty positive except for this website called RP Gamer and a couple of others. I, I just uh, – looks like uh, Play UK gave it a 63 out of 100, which is normally, uh, you know, in lines with the 2 out of 5 from us when you hear uh, one of the other websites giving it about a 60. That's, that's like one well, of our twos. This is one of the amazing things here is that on both the PS3 version – uh-huh. And and uh, the our, uh, the Xbox 360 version, which in, that's obviously includes both my review and Sam's review. Our reviews are the lowest of all the critic reviews. Well, now now you gotta be fair, knowing that that you know how we score versus how other people score. A two out of five for us correlates to what in the gaming industry. 
you know, because most of them are on a, a 50. you know, because most of them are on yeah. a uh, a ten point scale. And if I see a if I see a sixty on a you know GameSpot or IGN, it's an instant death. It's like, oh, that's a terrible game. I would never play a six, you know. Whereas I'd play a three out of five on RP Gamer, you know. So you think a two out of five really feels like a forty? Because v- very few games get two forty percent on on any other the websites. It's like the worst of the worst of the worst. I mean, you can't even get through it gets a 40%. Well, let's laugh for a second in that, first off, Phil, you have the person with the lowest review average on RP Gamer and the highest review average on RP Gamer. <laughs> so the fact that both of us agree on this particular title shows kind of just what kind of a category Star Ocean 4 is. It's in a league of its own. Yeah, I mean, looking at this, uh, there was only three other websites that I would say is in the same category as you guys, out of the 30-some uh, reviews on uh, Game Breakings. Uh, Cheat Codes, uh, no, not Cheat Code, uh, Play.tm gave it the 6 out of 10, which I think is pretty low. Play UK gave it a 63 out of 100, and uh, the lowest of them was PlayStation Official Magazine from the UK, because across the pond they apparently have brains, gave it a 5 out of 10. Oh, wait, PlayStation Lifestyle gave it a 6 out of 10 as well, but everybody else gave it like 8s, 8.5s, and uh, WoW Gaming Trend gave it a 90 out of 100. They just love this game. They go to bed with it at night and take it to bed like a teddy bear. Well, and I think this is something that's worth noting is that when Star Ocean came out on the Xbox, at the time, I mean, that was where most of the JRPGs were going. Yeah. yeah. So I know for me, you know, I was thrilled when they announced that we were getting The Last Hope on PS3 because that was the console choice that I picked. Yeah, that's exactly how I started off. I mean, and to this day, I was just going through my uh, game log and stuff, and it's kind of sad that, uh, you know, uh, proportionally speaking, there's very few RPGs I have on my PS3 compared to, let's say, you know, my PS2. It's just, and I'm talking about proportions. I'm not talking about, you know, sheer number of games. I understand the PS3 hasn't been out as long. You know, but it's like, yeah, there just really aren't that many, especially JRPGs. Yeah, you're right. They're they're just hard to get. And so, yeah, I was with you. With and I saw Lost uh, Last Hope was coming out. Like I said, I was like, Last Hope for another good RPG uh, on my PS3, a JRPG, because there's not a whole lot on there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's getting better now, but I mean. Um, when Last Hope came out on PS3, the PS3 was starting to establish an RPG library because we got things like Demon's Souls, which is, you know, a, there's a perfect example of a critically acclaimed game that, for the most part, probably deserves all the acclaim it gets. Yeah, but I mean, and, and I mean, it's kind of a little little side topic, but I, I can't help myself. But I, I guess when it, I guess when I look at the RPGs I have on my PS3, there's, and this is part of the times, but a lot of them are the kind of your third person demon soul. I mean, is that to me that feels more like an action game with some RPG, and I know that's a huge argument. I'm just saying, to me personally, Phil, it feels it doesn't feel super super like an RPG because I'm so used, I'm so old school. I'm used to RPG being games where you know battles are you know something that's done on the field maybe real time once in a while but you know but it's not this thing where i'm actually behind one guy with a sword and i'm hitting a to swing the sword it's more like i'm making decisions and looking at strategies and things like that and i mean on the ps2 i got a whole bucket load of these jrpgs on the ps3 i've got atelier rorona atelier totorori and Disgaea, a couple of Disgaeas, and uh boy that halloween costume quest um that was dl i think I don't know if I've got that many other PS3 RPGs. I don't think I do. 
Well, that honestly, that has to do a lot with Japanese culture that evolved after the PS2 came uh, disappeared and the uh, PS3 came out, and mm-hmm. it has to do with development costs. Oh, Final Fantasy's like awesome. And, yeah, but but really, that that really doesn't have anything to do with the with Star Ocean specifically or anything like that. It was it's really the fact that all the all the good JRPGs went to handhelds because that's that's where the money was in Japan. Yeah, so I mean, I was saying, I was like, gosh, I'm thinking, gosh, we're going to get another cool high-end, it's got the square name on it somewhere hiding, you know, <laughs> and it just was kind of a disappointment after reading, and, and I, I'm very thankful, I want to tip my hat off to you too, because actually, when reading the reviews, they all seem so positive, until I got to yours, <laughs> and that was actually, in all honesty, uh, I, I didn't wait until now to make my decision, I had actually made my decision after reading y'all's reviews, so... You know, and, and that's why people should read reviews at RP Gamer because my, you know, gut tells me that sometimes these people really don't play through the games or or don't play them at all. Sometimes the way some of these people are scoring them, I think they look at some screenshots and read the box cover and come up with something. Sometimes I don't know, or they read somebody else's review and rewrite it. I, I just have no clue why in the world this game got so many great scores. I mean. Well, and I- the fact that the save points are an hour apart, which is actually mentioned in other people's reviews. So I know it's not just you guys, you know, getting your heads together on this and trying to lie, but no, I'm telling you, I've seen other reviews mention this. It's like, it's like, yeah, this this game, it's got review, but you know, hour apart save points. But by the way, we're giving it a nine out of ten. What? <laughs> Come on, well, I mean, man. It, it, it's worse than hour apart save points because not only are the save points hour apart, they're often punctuated with half hour cutscenes. Oh yeah, that you mostly slept through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Xenosega got away with that, but I, I think that was because the, the cutscenes were actually interesting, right? <laughs> the hilarious thing is, too, is because because the Xbox controller uh-huh. uh, is wireless, uh-huh. I would have cutscenes shut down and pause in the middle of them because it, I'd been idle so long that my Xbox controller shut itself off. The Xbox doesn't want to play itself anymore. <laughs> the, like, no more. Play. the Xbox itself knows this game needs to be turned off and put to sleep permanently. <sighs> you know what? I had far more fun riffing on Star Ocean The Lost Hope with Adrian and with my husband just because, you know, I would sit there and play it. You know, he'd come upstairs, he'd, you know, have something to eat, and he'd just look at me and he'd be like, so, what, what's the misadventures of Edge Maverick today? So I'd tell him something stupid that happened in the game. He'd be like, and this is why I don't play JRPGs. <laughs> Walk away, and you know, come back, and you know what? That, that's a damn shame, because you know what? There are so many good JRPGs out there, and if a game like Star Ocean 4 turns people away from the JRPGs and keeps them from playing the ones that are actually worth playing, that that's a crime. And honestly... Developers that create this kind of tripe need to be... They should be ashamed. They should be ashamed. Hmm. All right, well, I think that's a great way to end up our discussion on The Last Hope. And uh, we're going to take a teeny tiny little break, let you enjoy some music from one of the better uh, Star Ocean games, maybe. (laughs) We'll be right back.
And we're back. We're going to do a little quick blast from the recent past section, kind of falling a little behind on here. This is where we talk about games that came out about two years ago. So we're going to actually pick up on a couple of games uh, from the end of 2009 uh, that I'm personally very familiar with because I reviewed one and I almost got to review the other and I'll explain that. The first one is League of League of Legends, which is kind of a combo strategy RPG. It's one of those Defense of the Ancient games. Have y'all ever tried playing like Defense of the Ancients? No. Do you even know what Defense of the Ancients is? Oh, I know what it no. is. I just haven't played it. Okay, let me educate Miss Marshmallow here. All right, so check it out. It's it's kind of like a Diablo uh, team based. PvP style game that lasts about roughly, if I remember correctly, about 20 minutes, 30 minutes or less, give or take. You start off at level 1 with a character that you have, and uh, you're playing with three or four other people who are also playing their characters. And uh, your your goal is to protect your base and defeat the enemy's base, because they've got three or four champions on their side as well. Each base, which is on opposite ends of this uh, usually a symmetrical map, uh, have waves of monsters that come out from portals. Uh, the monsters come out of your portals are your friends and they're going to go beat up on the other guys and vice versa of course as you're running in their direction you're going to meet their monsters and uh, or uh, and you're going to start beating them up and you might run into their heroes and start beating them up either way you're going to gain experience points coins and a whole nine yards and uh, gain levels uh, rather quickly now in your lower levels you uh, you you'll be able to take out other low level heroes and monsters but you're not going to be any match for the static defenses that are there protecting their home base but eventually as characters get more and more powerful it becomes much easier to ta- especially with the help of the monsters pouring out your portal if they get upgraded it becomes easier and easier to tear down the other guy's base it's basically a reverse tag of war what makes this kind of it what makes this uh, you know the rp category instead of the strategy category is you know your main focus when you're playing aside from working with your team members is leveling up your character and it's very fast it's like playing in something like diablo much much faster you will get from level one to 15 or 20 uh in that 30 minutes and you'll buy gear and you'll upgrade and you'll need to do it fast because that every second that ticks by is a second you could be killing somebody and and uh and you just kind of do this over and over and it's kind of addictive um in league of legends they add another sort of meta experience grow your uh, character account type of thing because as you continue to play the game uh more and more you gain uh i forget what they're called i want to say they're called ips but there's some sort of points that are on your account that you can use to buy uh and again the runes or whatever the hell they're called uh, and you put these on your magic book, and they increase the power of your characters by very, very, very small increments that do add up um, on your account. So e- even though you're starting off at level 1 every single time you play, the more you play the game, uh, and you can also put more real money into it as well to get there faster, but the, the more you play the game, uh, the better, the more little these teeny tiny perks you're going to get on your account and give you a teeny teeny tiny edge <laughs> that all you know all adds up. So uh, when I reviewed it, I gosh I don't even remember I gave it, probably gave it like a, oh here it is a 2.5. Wow, boy did I screw that really low. And the reason I screw it so low is because I love Defense of the Ancient Games. I, I love the fact that I can play a really short role playing game. I guess uh, for lack of I mean there's no story, but it is uh, you do got the le- you know. The Diablo to me never had much of a story either. <laughs> it is. It feels very much like an action RPG um, that you can play with your friends in 30 minutes, and it's just a great way to get in there and have fun and get out. Um, 
outside of you know playing an MMO, which on the other hand takes a you know takes a month of Sundays. Um, I really like the gameplay in League of Legends, but I really took off some points because at the time that I played it, and I have to review the copy as it's given to me, the thing only had uh, one map. Didn't even bother with any sort of overarching story at all, which I mean they could have at least tried something. And uh, and I'm retail. I was reviewing the retail product, which for twenty bucks, I'm getting a lot of promises of more maps and more this and more that. But I really didn't feel like it was a great value for for what you'd pay at the store. Um, with that being said, it is a free game. It still remains a free game. Uh, and when you if you look at it in that scope, it's you know it's you can't get you can't go wrong. They've got more maps out now. They got a lot more characters out now, and people just play this nonstop. Um, in my game store uh, that we do our pen and paper. Every time they got the computers turned on, if they're not playing World of Warcraft, they're playing League of Legends. It's kind of got World of Warcraft look to it, too, by the way. I think some of the people that worked on the art assets um, with uh, World of Warcraft did some of the work for League of Legends. So, um, But it's really free. You can go – I'm sure you can just Google it, League of Legends. Uh, download it, play for free. It is one of those things that's supported by those uh, mini transactions or whatever they're called. So if you really like it, you can put money into it to help yourself level faster. But uh, I must warn you, some people get sucked into that game and they never come back out. It's, it, I, it is just really – um, taking the world by storm. I even heard uh, one person say, I'm a huge fan of real-time strategy games as well, but I heard somebody uh, mention on uh, one uh, podcast that they that they said that games like League of Legends, Dota type of games, have really just replaced uh, real-time strategy games um, as being the go-to type of thing for playing with other people, you know, in real-time type of uh, thing, outside of first-person shooters, of course. So... Hmm. Didn't I didn't I read a report recently that uh, League of Legends now has a larger uh, a larger um, user base than World of Warcraft or almost as uh, almost as large anyways? Hmm. Ah, well, I must have missed that, Mr. Uh, Dean Alden. You don't say. <laughs> Got to read the site more often. I read something like that. I don't know if it was on RP Gamer, but it was somewhere I read that uh, League of Legends had grown to such a ah. large number of users that it was rivaling World of Warcraft. Yeah, it's it's huge. I, I would certainly be interested in see. I you know I, I don't know if you could ever compare apples to apples because League of Legends is supported by many transactions and uh, you know whereas Warcraft of course it's you know it's it's a monthly fee. So when when Warcraft says they I, I think they have ten million you know was the last news thingy I heard that they were down to down <laughs> to only ten million paying subscribers a month. So I'm thinking 150 million dollars of gross revenue uh, every single month. I wonder if if League League of Legends is is you know somewhere even you know close to that, but it wouldn't totally surprise me because microtransaction model has clearly proven itself to be a very solid business model for these type of games, and League of Legends is extremely popular, and it would not surprise me to hear that uh, that they're coming pretty close to some of the big boys, uh, even possibly even Blizzard, because it's huge and it's big. So certainly the number of subscribers wouldn't surprise me if you if you count the uh, the free guys. Because it, it's it's huge. Yeah. Um, okay. And the second game is King's Bounty Armored Princess. So did either one of you play this one? Nope. nope. Oh, you're no fun. Did you play King's Bounty? Nope. Oh, sweet nope. mercy. All right, Heroes of Might and Magic. I played Clash of Heroes. Oh, sweet mercy. No. Oh, I don't know either one of you. Oh, boy, oh, boy, I oh boy. didn't grow up playing PC games. <sighs> and I didn't play Might and Magic on the Super Nintendo either. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Well, you can get those games on GOG. But, 
All right, King's Bounty, uh, Armor Princess. That might be on GOG, too. I know it's on Steam. Anyways, um, well, the King's Bounty game uh, originally oh – boy, let me just Google that real fast. But I believe it, it dates back to the Genesis days, um, if I'm not mistaken. The um, uh, the original premise of King's – the original King's Bounty was you, you were playing um, – uh, like a, a a captain of an army, you're you're kind of RPing this guy because he's going to he's been given a decree from king to go defend the town or city or or capital or whatever. There's lots of bad monsters, but I never pay attention to the story and these types of things. Um, but you lead a hero and his army across four continents, and uh, and the details of the task is pretty much open up to you once once you once the king sends you on your way you see this huge board it, it almost kind of reminds me of a board game but you've got trails that you can go on and you can pretty much go in any any direction you want um you'll there's other enemies um, um armies that are in your way to beef up your own army you can go back to town recruit more soldiers or you may find wandering armies that may join you or you may be able to recruit them from other uh, buildings so you'll start off with a very cliche assortment of archers and pikemen and swordsmen or what whatever but as you get on through the game it's not unusual to pick up harpies and dragons and spiders oh my and and that's what that was one of the things that made it cool you just never knew from minute to minute what you might pick up and you might dump your uh, five pikemen that are left alive for a fresh new stack of spiders um and, and so the when you run to another enemy the battles would turn to a tactical point of view um and your 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 captain heroes off on the side and you're basically controlling the stacks of monsters when you're when it's your turn a stack of 50 monsters still looks like one monster but he has a number 50 next to him so uh this this was uh let's see this the original one was released on MS-DOS and Apple and later on on the uh, Mega Drive Genesis uh back in the early 90s the King's Bounty games uh that were released later on uh was basically ooh I'm supposed to say who made them and everything else aren't I don't um but um I'll look that up real fast <laughs> um but they were uh, they are nice really nice um 3D modern day updates of that old King's Bounty premise. Uh, this uh, King's Bounty Armor Princess was published by uh, 1C Company, developed by Katari uh, Interactive, uh, released in uh, North America on November 20th, 2009. Uh, tactical RPG single player experience. Anyway, uh, so in this one, you're playing a, a princess. Who is warped back in the past because the king is about being uh, about to be uh, run over? It begins about ten years after the original King's Bounty game, uh, which maybe one day I'll talk about. But um, uh, but you're playing as Princess uh, Emil, and um, you're sent through the the portal in search of a legendary knight or something or rather. So um, you get to this alternate war uh, world. There the inhabitants greet you, of course, and give you um give you uh give you some quest and i remember early at the beginning one of them i think it might have been part of a quest but one of them gave me a, a little baby dragon which comes in handy because because dragon will fight next to your your pikemen and your swordsmen and spiders and help kick the crud out of everything 
So uh, it basically built the King's Bounty uh, games, including Armored Princess, uh, really builds upon the original premise of the 90s. Uh, beautiful graphics and whatnot. Now, I say I almost reviewed it. I was given the review copy. But I kept uh, – and I'm a veteran of King's Bounty uh, and its uh, uh, offshoots, the Heroes of Might and Magic games that came out after it. Um, but I kept running – speaking of difficulty spikes, I kept running into a brick wall because the enemies would level up faster than my armies were. And, and there is a cap to how much you can recruit. Um, you can only have usually four or five different types of monsters, and the number of monsters you can have in a stack – uh, is limited by your leadership score, which you can only level up uh, by finding certain items or by gaining experience points and leveling up. So I kind of ran into this brick wall where the enemies kept leveling faster than me, and I kept starting over and over again. It, uh, and and I was already in a busy part of my life, but you know, at RP Gamer, we gotta beat the game to review it. And I was really frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to beat it. I'm an expert at these things. So Anna Marie came up. She had bought the game. I had the review copy early, but by the time the the real game came out, I was still hitting my head up against the wall. Anna got it, bought it, played through and beat it. And I, and she said, can I review it? Will that be okay with you? I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I don't got no ego here. But I'm like, I got to ask, how in the heck did you beat that game? I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. She said, well, on the front page of their home page, there's the cheat codes are there for a reason. Cheat codes! <laughs> I didn't know you could use cheat codes. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so apparently the game is really darn fun if you use cheat codes, boys and girls. Uh, I had fun with it up until I hit the brick wall. At any rate, I, I still feel it's fun to play through uh, for that first dozen levels, and they probably have patched it up to this point, so um, I haven't had a chance to go back to it afterwards. Uh, but Annie gave it a really good score. Uh, it's gotten a lot of great reviews, and it's something I still hardly recommend to people um, because you can get it real cheap off of uh, Steam or GOG. Uh, you can get it with the original King's Bounty, which I also had a lot of fun with, and its expansion, so... That's King's Bounty, Art Princess, and that's our blast from the recent past. Y'all are excited, aren't you? You're going to go out and get it, aren't you? Adrian's already on GOG.com looking it up. Oh, probably not. I'm not a big fan of old-school PC RPGs. <laughs> well, I think it's really cool. Uh, okay, they have King's Bounty The Legend on GOG. That's the original one for uh, $9.99. Um, I think the Armored Princess is on Steam. I'll look that up in just a second. I think what's really cool is that you can't with this game is that you. I, I don't think you can. I can't think of a single console experience that comes super close to this outside of maybe there was. Oh my gosh, the name has escaped me on the PlayStation Two. Uh, based off of the uh, Romance of the Nine, uh, Three or Eighteen Kingdoms or whatnot, there was a tactical. RPG on there where you commanded armies and you could do all kinds of combos and stuff. That might be the closest you could get to it. There was also a uh, a Heroes of Might and Magic on the PlayStation 2, which actually feels a lot like a King's Bounty game more than a Heroes of Might and Magic game because you're not – yeah, it's much more like a King's Bounty game. So that would probably be the closest you could get with the console experience. Um, but this is actually a pretty modern game. It doesn't look like an old PC game. This doesn't look like Baldur's Gate or anything like that. So, I mean, it's not going to push your graphics, you know, your direct, you know, DirectX 11 Windows 7 graphics card to its limits. But it's, it's certainly not something that's going to make your eyes bleed like a PlayStation 1 game. So, and it's interesting. It's different. The story, uh, they really did try to cram a lot of story. There's a lot of text to read. 
I, I kind of gave up trying to read the text. I just want to beat things up. That's my problem. <laughs> it's cute. It's trite. It's <laughs> it's nothing you're going to write home about. It's, it's not the stuff of novels. You play King's Bounty and Heroes of Might and Magic, and oh boy, did they try to put so much story in the Heroes of Might and Magic series. Um, but you really, at the end of the day, 9 out of 10 people are playing that game um, to uh, because of the gameplay, not because of the story. So it's... Alrighty. Well, since none of y'all are interested, I'll just stop talking now. We'll take a little teeny tiny break while I cry my milk and cookies. And we'll come back for the final lap. final lap. Boy, that was fast. Felt like it was just 90 seconds ago, give or take. Yay! Yay! Well, <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of forum, uh, forum comments yet before our last show because it just went up yesterday, and uh, it took me a while to edit it, um, you know, because I had to listen to Sam talk about Parasite Eve third birthday all over again. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, but you can uh, listen to it. It's RPGA Backtrack episode 62 where we talk about the trio of Parasite Eve games. I highly recommend you go back and listen to that unless, you, unless you're just absolutely totally familiar with all three games because we talked about so much great stuff. It was one of my favorite, uh, favorite podcasts in our series. Um, it's called Biohazard Level 4 because Mike likes to make up crazy names for our shows. But if you check it out, it's really about uh, Parasite Eve series. So um, uh, let's see here. Um, and uh, But uh, to add to that, um, oh, Nathan uh, Schlothen wrote a little comment on there. He wanted to add uh, a little uh, final thought to those of you who have listened to that podcast. He wanted to let everyone know that he did finally finish Parasite Eve 2 a few days ago. He wished he had managed to do so before we recorded that show because he actually was surprised by a few things. Uh, there's a variety of New Game Plus modes, which he found rather interesting, and combined with the rewards for multiple playthroughs, it actually gives the game a reason to go through it a few more times. Um, it actually reminds him of replaying something like a good Metal Gear Solid game, uh, even if the quality of the gameplay isn't up to the same standard, which is a compliment in his book. 
So that sounds pretty cool. I mean, to me, I think we talked about it, but uh, with Parasite Eve 2, the weirdness is one thing that it's, it's either going to turn you off or it's something going to be really like. Um, I, I personally like the weirdness. Um, and if you you know if you don't mind doing that and looking up some things on FAQ like I mentioned before, playing the game a few times through for some of these uh, interesting new game plus modes could be really cool. Uh, like Nathan and I said, it was uh, one of the appeals to the game to us is it does uh, even though the controls are really really could have not gone back to them could have really just stayed with Parasite E1 controls would have been much better. But uh, once you get over the controls, I think it is kind of cool that it's an rpg that really makes you ration your resources sometimes to a fall to cory miss sam but uh, i, I kind of felt like it was i am i love that type of idea of rationing my resources uh, i don't want to be masochistic about it but i like the idea that i gotta really be careful about not using my good attacks on the weak monsters and back and forth and i did a lot of that in parasite eve too so new game plus modes would probably add to that idea i suppose yeah, Sam's not committed, so she's not going back and playing it. We'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll see. And that's our so that's our, our last show. Now our next show, uh, number sixty four, is Way of the Dragon. Uh, we will be talking about five Breath of Fire games. Um, and so you can be looking for that. Uh, and I will be, hopefully, by that time, I'll be ready to talk about Vandal Hearts Flames of Judgments. I'm trying to get some solid time. I've got a few hours into it so that I can talk about that for our Blast from the Recent Past selection. We'll be recording that on January 24th, and we'll get it up a few days later. Awesome stuff. So it's that time where we get to pimp. Pimp time! i got to come up with a better title for this section. Anyways... <laughs> Anyways, is there anything you two would like to pimp to our vast audience? Miss Marshmallow, we'll start with you. Um, two things that are up on RP Gamer that are uh, worth pimping. One is I just did a review for Dungeon Defenders, which you can play on practically everything except the Wii <laughs> in terms Don't. of consoles. Um, it's a fabulous tower defense action RPG. Um, I just had a ball with it. Like, I remember Mac giving me the code and I looked at it and I was kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And as soon as I had a buddy to play it with, it was just so much fun. It's fun to watch the carnage of all the traps just murdering everything on the screen. Have you played so, um, Have you played Orcs Must Die? No. Should I? It, it, well, uh, it sounds – I mean I read, your, I read your review. Love it. In fact, it, it, well, uh, it, it keeps tearing me up because – um, because it sounds like a super fabulous game. I mean, uh, uh, Michael was going on and on about it in Twitter and mentioned it, I think, on our last show. But um, and and I want on one hand, I want to play it. But every review I read, including your, in fact, I looked for it in your review, and sure enough, you said the same thing that just about every other reviewer says, which is super fun to play with other people. But it almost sounds like if you're playing it by yourself, you're going to be spinning your wheels in the mud. Oh, and, and I'm boring. a solo player for the most part. Yeah, this is one where if you've got a friend you can play it on, like, even if you can cross-platform and play it with somebody else, it's really fun. Now, I reviewed the Xbox version, which, surprise, surprise, doesn't have the the cross-platforming. So, you're SOL on that, and you'll have to just play with other Xbox users. But, um, every other platform does cross-platform, so if you're playing on PS3, you can totally play with somebody who's doing it on Steam. Hmm. So, that's pretty fabulous. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. The, the Orcs Must Die sounds a lot like what I read in your review. You set down traps. You're playing a single character. The camera's over his shoulder. Uh, the Orcs come in through the the doors, and you you can attack them. But you, you it's really watch. You know, you got a lot of traps doing the job as well. It really takes a combination of both to hold back these waves of uh, of Orcs. But yeah, watching these traps spring and throw them into the vats of acid and stuff is kind of fun. So you might want to check that out sometime. I'll have to definitely look into it. It sounds right up my alley after Dungeon Defenders. But um, the second item I'm going to pimp, just because we had the wonderful Michael Baker on the show tonight, is he did a special feature called uh, 2011 Japan Demonium Reviews Year in Review, um, which I helped him with. And it's a feature where we took all of Michael's reviews, because he only reviewed some import titles for us, which is fabulous. It's great to have that kind of variety on the site. Um, and we did commentary. So he would give a normal response, and I would give the typical Gaijin response. <laughs> Meaning I would give the response of, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then we just, we, we, we kind of bantered back and forth. And it was just such a fun little project to work on that I do hope we get to do it again. Um, and we got some very nice responses on people from Twitter and whatnot, just saying that they thought it was a really fun little idea. So, um, I'm really proud of Michael for all the work he put into that, and I was very happy to be included in that. Hmm. And I'm not very funny, so I don't get where people think I'm funny. <laughs> cool. Hey, it's also like how I'm going to tell everybody to at the third birthday you know, podcast. I'm going to call it that now. Once you get to the third birthday section, everybody, just turn it off. <laughs> oh, jeez. Don't listen to me. <laughs> uh, well, we won't get you started back up about the third birthday again. Um <laughs> So, Mr. Denald, anything you'd like to pimp? Um, not at the moment. Uh, I will just say that I started working on a new review title. It's an indie game. Um, it apparently is about evil and questing, and I will Yay! leave it at that. Hmm, cool. Uh, I also have said same game. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> I have the exact same game. <laughs> I'm not going to review it, though. Oh, okay. See, what do you, what do you think of it so far? I'm curious. What do you think of it so far? I've only um, played 20 minutes, so... I've played probably about the same. It's, uh, interesting. Yeah, uh, it. it doesn't seem like it's too bad. Hmm. So. Hmm. Cool. There's evil, there is questing. Um, I'm amazed, actually, because a lot of the staffers picked that one up on a whim, because it's the only release of 20... 12 that's actually out so far yeah. and for a dollar i mean you can't go wrong with some of these indie games now when you have to pay like three dollars for typos and other special stuff then it's less fun but for a dollar eh, i'm not gonna complain right all right shoot all right cool fair enough um let's see um for an awful wall recommendation or kind of pimpage um, I've been playing Sword and Poker on my iPad. So this is uh, this is one of those little indie games that kind of cost me, I hope it didn't cost me more than a buck or two, but um, I don't remember now that I think about it. Uh, the premise is extremely simple. I'm sure there was a tiny little paragraph story at the beginning, but the game throws you straight away into a, a, a quote-unquote dungeon. It's really just a screen <laughs> with uh, with about four or five monsters in a line going through them, reaching to the bottom. Where's the door to the next level? And in between levels, you get to shop and stuff. What makes the game fun is the combat. It's basically poker. There, are, It starts 
off with nine cards. Uh, each, both you and the monster get four cards. And uh, and you will uh, you, you will put down two of those four cards outside of the uh, nine square because it's a five by five grid. Uh, so on the the uh, perimeter, I suppose um, you'll lay down two cards to make a poker hand. The better the poker hand you just made, uh, the more damage you do to your enemy, and it goes back and forth. Um, as you go through the dungeon, you collect money. You can buy uh, all kinds of upgrades, spells that you can activate once per round. Uh, to uh, do everything from reorder the cards to allow yourself to do extra damage to heal yourself or, or whatever have you. It's a very interesting premise. If you like games like Puzzle Quest that kind of take the idea of merging puzzle games uh, with the elements of an RPG and being able to level up, um, you could do worse, a lot worse than this. It, it, it's actually um, an iPod, iPhone game. I'm playing it on my iPad, kind of blown up. Um, I don't think there would be any problem playing on a, on a smaller screen. Uh, there was a second one that I got the demo for, but I haven't spent any time on it because I want to kind of beat the first one first. And I've gone through 24. I want to say that it looks like there's 30 floors to this based on the progression of items and the fact that there's only like five more question marks in the store because it has little question marks for the things you don't know about yet. So I think there's only, yeah, a few more floors left. But it, I, I'm a big fan of battle systems that make me think and the fact that you're leveling up and buying items. Uh, it would have been nice had they put some story with it, even if it was a mediocre one. I think the second one sort of kind of does that um, and puts a little bit more te- depth into the uh, interaction, which is pretty much non-existent in the first one. But again, it's just a buck or two. It's a really great time. Killer, I'm sitting, when I'm walking around the mall, I'm waiting in a line, I'm matching up poker hands and being the co- you don't beat the life out of the other person you beat the coins out of them don't ask me why so <laughs> and uh yeah sword and poker and let's see here i've also noted that the uh, final fantasy origins is now on the playstation we have an article by a miss becky cunningham up on there saying mm-hmm. that the psn uh, classic final fantasy or the PSN Classics release for the week is Final Fantasy Origin, a compilation of number one and number two that came out on the original PlayStation. I don't, I didn't actually play. We mentioned when they, when we, we mentioned this before with the when they released the Final Fantasy five and six or whichever one it was on the store. How much we kind of told everyone to avoid that <laughs> because on the PlayStation version there was a lot of bugs. Um, and I don't know if, but I don't know if Final Fantasy One and Two shared uh, those same bugs on their PlayStation One. Boy, there's so many freaking releases of this game, I can't even keep track of it anymore. How many times can you release a game? Holy cow, it's a lot. Whew. Anyways, I would probably say if you had a PSP, grab that one because it's pretty. I like the Final Fantasy remake on the PSP. Did y'all ever play that one? I did. It, it's well, a, I played one on it. I didn't play two because two scares me. <laughs> it it should scare you beating up your own characters to level up. What the heck? <sighs> anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So that, that I mean, if you're if you're dying to play Final Fantasy one again, if you have a PSP, I'd recommend that one first. Um, having a PlayStation one remake of a super or a regular Nintendo NES game blown up on my big screen television probably isn't going to look so great. But uh, what do I know? Um, but at least check out the reviews um, for Final Fantasy, the PlayStation uh, port or remake or whatever it was, and make sure that it doesn't have the same bugs. <laughs> the other thing I'd like to, to throw out there is um, 
uh, RP Gamer it has a has a, another posting here by Becky Cunningham, but RP Gamer is doing a really cool thing. We, we've always kind of done this, but I don't remember this ever going on the front page, but maybe it did, and I just didn't catch it. Uh, but we're doing the year of RPGs. Usually we do like the year of Final Fantasy before. I remember seeing that, and a year of, what was it? Wasn't there another year? Is there a year of Final Fantasy? Or? Adrian did Tales. Yeah, was there a year of Tales? Yes. We're, we're, year of, the year of Final Fantasy was the first one we did. Uh-huh. Tales was the second one. Uh-huh. And the last and then, one was classic console games. Ah. So now we're doing Western RPGs. Western RPGs. And this is a very, very interesting list. The Witcher, Mass Effect 1 and 2 in February, Fallout in March. In April, you got Morrowind. Uh, in May, you got Septera Core, uh, which I got off of GOG not too long ago. In June, Ultima 7, The Black Gate, another great classic, also available in GOG. July, you got Mighty Magic 6, The Mandate of Heaven. Oh, that's a good one. Planescape, uh, Planescape Torments in August. Uh, Arcanum of Steamwork and Magic Obscura is in September. Vampire, The Masquerade, October. November brings you Botter's Gate 2. And December is Deus Ex. And so a really great uh, list of Western uh, RPG uh, – Western RPGers, <laughs> Western Western RPGs. Uh, so if you want to join it, we got uh, – th- it's right there on the front page right now, and we have a, a forum post on it. You can raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm doing it too, and here's where I'm at, and, you know, and, and people are talking and helping each other through the games as they're running in the speed bumps and stuff. And uh, and sharing the spirit, so it's a really great and awesome thing to do. I think this is one New Year's resolution. If you've got a big backlog and there's a lot of Western RPGs on it, chances are some of those games are on there. But if you haven't dived into our, uh, Western RPGs before, you've been too scared, been too busy hugging your your copy of Final Fantasy and that rotten game, The Last Hope. Then by all means, <laughs> jump in on the Western RPG bandwagon there. So definitely had to pimp that one. Um, alrighty. So I think that will just about uh, do it. Um, I'm going to say thank you to Mr. Baker who had to leave. But yeah, I'm sure he'll go back and listen to the whole thing. And thank you to you too, Miss Marshmallow and Mr. Mr. Adrian. You're welcome. Always happy to be here. Always Always fun. Always awesome to have you both on. And also great to have you guys listening to us. Our audience, we love you. On behalf of Mike and myself, we thank you for listening to RPG Backtrack. As always, you're the reason we do this. Do us a big, huge favor. Rate us on iTunes because we like seeing lots of stars by our name. Um, well, by the name of our podcast, anyways. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer. Become our big, biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. And as always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, um, RPG Cast. All at rpgamer.com. Thank you. Have a good night. Wait, before we leave, this suggestion I got a note from uh, Chris from RPG Cast uh, that uh, somebody had left a voicemail, and I believe his name is Draconis, uh, though I had a hard time finding him on the board, so I'm hoping that if I uh, put this here, uh, he'll get the message. So, Draconis's concern was that our phone number wasn't working. Maybe that's why I haven't got any audio comments or anything lately. Um, I tested it when I set it up, but I guess it wasn't working, so I've set up a brand new one. I've tested it again, and if any of you would like to leave your comments, 
uh, questions, give us a call, or if you want to review or talk about any RPG that's at least two years old or older, call in and tell the world about it. We'll get it on the next RPG Backtrack. Now that number is 801-810-5597. Again, that number, 801-810-5597. Go ahead and call in, uh, leave a message, and we will get it on the show. Hopefully that will work now. Uh, as part of his message, he was also wondering when we were going to do a backtrack on Dungeons & Dragons Tactics, I believe, for the PSP. Um, I actually own that, and it's in my backlog. So just for you, because you called in, I have dusted off out of my backlog, and I am playing it. We won't probably do a whole show on it, but I'll either do it for my Blast in the Recent Past section, or something along those lines, but I'll be happy to discuss it especially since my own background is very heavy into the uh, pen and paper series. So we'll see how well it translates on the PSP. Okay, thank you uh, all very much once again, and have a good night.